0: Today on Filmmaker Freedom, a super duper in-depth interview with Marcus Mazel. Now Marcus is a pretty multi-talented dude. Over the last ten years or so, he's directed three micro-budget features. Um, the latest of which is called Chameleon and should be hitting VOD platforms and whatnot pretty soon. At least uh, if you're listening to this when it launches. But in addition to his feature filmmaking, he's also had a prolific career directing music videos, working in the grip department on some pretty big stuff, and being a writer and producer in general. Like I said, he does quite a bit of everything and is very good at it. And not only that, but the reason we connected was that pretty soon he's going to be launching an entirely new kind of film festival that's dedicated specifically to us micro-budget folks and really celebrating people who can do this Herculean task of making a feature film on very little money. So if you're interested in that, it's called the Microfilm Tournament, and we talk about it a ton towards the back end of this podcast. But besides that, this conversation was absolutely a blast, and we touch on so many different aspects of what it takes to succeed in this um, pretty brutal business. So yeah, this is a good one, and I really hope you dig it. Enjoy Hey friend, welcome to Filmmaker Freedom. This is a show for ambitious indie filmmakers who want to make work they're proud of, build audiences, cut out the middlemen, and earn a damn good living selling directly to their fans. My name is Rob Hardy, and I'm a filmmaker and a marketing consultant who's worked with a number of brands and startups to help them connect with online audiences and grow their businesses. Now, in the solo episodes of this show, I like to share direct lessons that I've learned from that experience and help you build an audience and sell your films. But truth be told, my perspective is far from the only one. That's why I like to balance those shows out with long form interviews with other entrepreneurial indie filmmakers. The goal is to share conversations that are really substantive, inspiring, and genuinely honest and transparent because there's just not enough transparency in the world of indie film, especially when it comes to the business side of things. And one last thing before we begin, I just want to thank my good friends over at Music Vine for sponsoring this show. Over the years, I've used just about every music licensing platform out there, and I can say without hesitation that Music Vine is at the very top of my list. The quality and uniqueness of the music are outstanding. The prices are reasonable, and the design and functionality of their website are second to none. It's just a pure pleasure to use. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code filmfreedom for 25% off your next order. All right, now let's get into today's interview. Yeah, so we, uh, we tried to record this once before and we were foiled by the sony building which apparently has like really bad reception now or they just block reception because they got hacked and um i don't know there
1: or maybe it's just my little corner office uh in the certain building who knows but it didn't work it was very frustrating
0: sorry yeah, about it, that and it was a good conversation too like we were really just getting into uh-huh. the good shit and then uh and then our call just kind of like died so we're trying again yeah like an hour <laughs> in yeah, hour yeah dude yeah. right exactly ridiculous so we're just gonna start over and who knows if the conversation will be half uh i don't know if it'll be the same as, as it'll it be even before. better yeah Hell yeah Hell yeah so um as you know and uh i'm gonna apologize if my cat interrupts things he just jumped on my desk and is like sniffing my microphone
1: as we speak little no little. problem well, let me let me apologize in <laughs> advance if uh some cars pull in and out. I'm, I'm, I'm on top of the parking deck right now. So it should be good. Get out of here, cat. All
0: right. So as you know, from last time, I like to start with some, um, just like quick questions, little icebreaker questions to help us all get to know you. Um, you ready to do it again? <laughs> I am. All right. Hold so on, I'm Let just... me take
1: a moment. To... Okay. All yes, right. I'm ready now.
0: Whew. Okay, cool. Cool. So, uh, first one is what's your favorite snack food?
1: Oh, snack food oh man oh mmm let me think i'm gonna say i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with beef jerky i don't have it a lot but if it's in the cabinet and i'm and i'm trying to snack i'll eat some beef jerky
0: oh yeah do you like uh like really really thick tough beef jerky or like some of the softer stuff
1: i kind of like in between you know medium medium medium
0: yeah um I kind of lean fair. towards the teriyaki
1: as well. I'm,
0: I'm all in that being health conscious, obviously. So. Oh, yeah, I'm, uh, every, Everyone thinks it's I'm good. weird, but I like, I really like the, like the softer beef jerky. It just like, I don't know. It's good. And, it's too uh, soft. Yeah.
1: And it's like, it's kind of weird. Oh, yeah. To me, but, but yeah, yeah. If yeah, it's, it's, if it's mushy, good, yeah. but
0: yeah, 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 fair enough. Okay. So question number two is what's the last film series um, piece of media, comedy special, whatever that you watched that just impressed the hell out of you.
1: Yeah. It's same as last time. I haven't watched anything since. Um, Fle- Fleabag. Loved yeah.
0: It. So which short, so tell sweet. me, yeah. yeah was, so tell me, so tell me a bit more about that one. I know we talked about it before, but for the, for the sake well, the of the first, people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the first thing that stuck out was, uh, the writing and breaking of the fourth wall. Like she looks at the camera, um, and includes the audience, you know, which is tricky stuff, but she pulls it off. It's one of the strengths of the show, I think. And they also play with it as the story goes on. Um, and then also, just the format overall, it's like a like 30 minute episodes with like six episodes per season, and there's only two seasons, so really, it's like two three hour movies chopped up, sort of, and um anyways, yeah, but it, but it, but it, there's no like fat on it, it's very lean. Those are the things that stuck out to me, and just just something fresh, you know, something something fresh, and somebody new, something a new face, you know
0: it's nice, yeah, I love it, I love it. And uh final question I've got for you is if you could go back in time and give young Marcus a piece of advice um, to maybe save him some troubles and some frustrations uh, before he embarks on his filmmaking journey, what would that piece of advice be? I forget what I said
1: last time. I got to forget about that. Um, I Um Right now, I would say probably, mm, my God, Let, let's go with... uh I didn't go to film school so i thought about it um but if i were to go to film school i would have focused on a film theory school that does film theory as opposed to production and how only because it seems like my film school was being on a set you can get on a film set as an entry-level position pa or in my case a grip and that's where you can learn production and really learn from the from the big dogs but um but i you know i end up working alongside people from say full cell. sorry to call them out but they would be ones to tell me like they didn't teach us correctly in a lot of ways so you know as far as production goes like you can learn that by being on a real set which you need to get on anyway so i think film theory it's just that stuff you can't learn unless you seek it out yourself by yourself unless you go to a film school that, that teaches that you know and you're forced to watch a bunch of stuff you would probably never watch so i I think that would, maybe that, that's probably what I would do different.
0: That's really interesting. And what do you, what do you think having like the a film theory background or at least having had some, some good education in that would have done for you in your career? Well,
1: it's like, even like right now, like we're, we're prepping, we're prepping for a shoot in Berlin in three weeks. And it's about this. It's a, it's a, it's a fake documentary. I was told not to call it a mockumentary. Um, but, um, but it's, you know, people know it as a mockumentary and, Anyways, I've been researching – it's about a filmmaker, a pretentious German filmmaker named Franz Müller-Schultz, played by my, my good friend Colin Moss. He's the Canada Dry Ginger Ale guy, by the way, if you've seen that. Um, anyways, yeah, I've been researching, like, German cinema history the past couple of weeks, and just the stuff I didn't know, you know, that blows my mind. And I'm like, man, how did I not know this? So fascinating, and I think that's the kind of stuff I would have known a little more about if uh, I would have went to a film theater uh, school. Sorry. Cops driving by our fire but um, I'm good, man. but yeah, I think that you know, for example, and I'm always kind of seeking out, I've always tried to. I've got like probably, I don't know, a huge bookcase full of film books, and I try to always read and stuff, but I think I could have bypassed some of that information by being in a class with others, you know, being forced to watch some avant garde or yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. I did go to a community college and and get like a a two semesters worth of intro to film type stuff. Like the, the, the greatest hits, we watched those, but the obscure stuff in the different countries, you know, I didn't, you know, um, that's, that's valuable stuff because you learn not only different, what's come before you um, and you know, what, um, how, you know, different forms and styles, but you know, you also just get inspired by it. So
0: yeah and this is this is really interesting, and it's got me thinking because i I did go to film school um two two separate film schools, and like the first one was it was supposed to be a, a mix of um theory and like production. but as you as you said, like the production side of things is so woefully inadequate. like it was a really small school under or not i guess not a small school, but a small film department and an under underfunded film department. and most of the professors there were folks who um i don't know you know like documentary and experimental filmmakers who did stuff in like the 90s but then just became professors so there was really no real world like this is how a real set operates and functions right um so it part of me feels like i had to unlearn a lot of the production stuff i i did there but like i took so many um not not that many theory classes, but I took like a, a bunch of experimental film classes. And like for anybody who who knows me and has like been reading my stuff for a while, like I love me some experimental stuff. Just because mm-hmm. it's one of those things that like if you want to make a narrative film, you need a you need a big ass team. Um, you need to right. I know you need to do your work, write a script, put in all the pre pro work and all of that. And it's it's a very labor intensive and time intensive thing. But and it's it's not the kind of thing where you can just like go out into the world and like express yourself in any kind of quick fun creative way but there's so much you can do experimentally um with experimental yeah. film avant-garde film whatever you want to call it that it it just sort of frees you to go make shit in the well also the, it's like yeah, you, can, you can get
1: caught up in being too literal as well like i'm guilty of this like some of my past work and you know you, you can be too on the nose too literal and i think uh it doesn't leave much room for like mystery or ambiguity or you know uh, experimenting you know and you're and you're just like like you know I, I'm a big struct I like I love my structure you know I love I'm kind of OCD I don't know what it is I like I like the balance of the screenplay you know like but but at the same time like sometimes that doesn't allow for it to breathe properly you know so I think you know if you're just focusing on more of an experimental or avant-garde approach something like that you're able to kind of be a little more symbolic and a little you know you can kind of focus on the feel and less on the the, you know what's written down, I guess
0: yeah, and like one of the things that no, one hundred percent, and that was like one of my takeaways too is like i I learned all of the experimental film stuff before ever really getting heavy into the world of cinematography and like the the proper way to do things at the the second film school mm-hmm. I went to, and I found that like my experimental background um, really influenced how I shot more traditional projects um, and it, right. it really influenced uh, my quote unquote voice in a way that um kind of set me apart and made me m- made me feel you know better i guess not not better better but well,
1: the flip side but the flip side would be also any you know anybody can shoot coverage wide shot medium shot close up for example anybody can you know collect what's on the page and that's important and that's that's great and you know it's nothing wrong with that but for me personally i am trying to get better at not being as for example like the latest film Chameleon, like you know we shot We shot the film, of course, and uh, put it together in the edit. And not not until the edit that I realized I didn't need these two or three scenes. I'm being too on the head. Like, we don't need to show the job interview. We just need to cut right to him having the job, you know? It's like, why why am I so concerned with showing every little step along the way, you know, kind of thing? And I think, you know, avant-garde and experimental, like, that is uh, the other end of the spectrum, I think, you know? It's almost like... Here's a You know,
0: here here's something that you can figure out. I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> you yeah,
1: well, yeah. Sometimes more
0: engaging. It, well, it's more engaging, and like you come out the other end um, being forced to think and interpret things for yourself, which I think is is hugely valuable for any kind of filmmaker because you want your work to linger, to stay with the audience. You don't want it to be just like a like 90 minutes of pure like telling people what to think and how to feel, and then it's done with. Um, right like if like it, it makes it up a
1: little bit yeah exactly yeah you know, to mix them i think of inception you know like the ending of inception like very blockbuster movie big hell hug movie but but i love the ending of like what happened you know you're talking about it for yeah we're still talking about it right now you know? yeah it's
0: like dude what happened like that, that gets my my marketing brain going is like if you can get people talking about your movie like that's that's like 80 percent of the battle of um Getting word of mouth marketing to work in your favor, so that you don't have to be on this treadmill of constantly like promoting and hustling your ass off. Like eventually, if you make something that is worth talking about, a lot of the marketing will will take care of itself, and your your film will just sort of continue perpetuating itself throughout the world because you made something that is is fundamentally remarkable, like in the most literal sense of that word. Like people just want to remark on it. So, like that's it's a huge huge thing to be able to sort of weave into the the architecture of your film from the beginning um and yeah it's it's hard to do though um but and you know anyway. what
1: i even like i don't i even like the uh our first feature half empty we shot like back in 2008 on a hbx i believe it was um back in wilmington north carolina we uh so we we had a very tight script that we did several drafts on and yeah it was ready to go we went and shot and while we were filming it while we were shooting, um, my whole approach to directing it and directing the actors too were was, um, here's our script, but let's go ahead and, like, treat each scene, like, as this kind of, you got your beginning and you got your end, and we can also mind the middle a little bit. But, like, that being said, try to kind of just do your thing in between those parameters. And that seemed to, like, really free up the actors a lot more and also just, you know, you do fine. You get stuff, some of the best stuff in the movie is from, like, just kind of an improv place you know um yeah so anyways yeah it's uh it's it depends on the project too right there's different ways to 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 make a film um but right now i'm definitely yeah i'm just trying to kind of provide more of the fill and less of the you know think like think this person
0: yeah you know yeah yeah. think this yeah so let's uh let's talk about your your journey because you've been all over the place you were in um what'd you say north carolina for a while you went to new orleans now you're in la doing all sorts of stuff give me like the like the quickie ten thousand foot view of where you started and how you got to where you are now
1: so it always starts with the home the home video camera that i had to steal right. from my parents bedroom like every every um, single
0: filmmaker or origin story is like it all started probably. when i was five <laughs> Yeah. You know, I always remember the brands of the cameras too.
1: Like, this is a JV, JVC. Um, tape form. It, I'm getting the details, but I think it was like a SBHS. I don't know. It was one of those. Or, yeah, it was SVHS before high eight. And, um, but yeah, I would steal that thing and we would just be bored. I would be bored as hell. And, you know, I would, we would shoot little skits and we'd have like decent concepts, but we would never really write anything down ever. Um, so that kind of led to me then asking myself, well, what would it, how good would this be if I started writing stuff down, and then we filmed it, um, you know, so that re- went into, like, just writing a lot, and um, anyways, uh, sorry, there's somebody trying to pull up right beside me. He's very confused. I don't know what's going on, um, um, and so uh, that led to probably, I don't know, like, 20-something tapes being filled up, different formats of cameras, and I realized, okay, what's the next step here? What can I do next? I need to get out of Kinston, North Carolina. First of all, 20,000 person town. And I was, my head was hitting the ceiling and I went to Wilmington, like two hours down the street. Cause I knew they had a uh, studio there and they were filming stuff like One Tree Hill. They, that's where they filmed Dawson's Creek back in the day and they filmed uh, tons of stuff. And I went and spent five or six years there, gradually getting more and more work as a grip. Um, my very first uh, time on set was a TV show called surface back in, 2005, as a PA, the only time I was a PA, it's like a 19-hour day. It was the biggest, craziest thing I've seen even probably since working on any film set. Like, they had, like, I think the scene was they were in the Pacific Ocean or something, and they had, like, a giant wave pool. They had rain. They had thunder. They had a techno crane. They had all this stuff, huge crews. And I'm I'm first day on any set ever, you know, uh, locking up a door. And uh, I'm just, like what in the hell is going on but i was also so happy to be there and you're paying me to be here what um side note what's cool is not what's cool and kind of tragic is it's the same stage with stage four at screen Gems in the same corner of that building i believe where brandon lee got shot and killed for the crow um that was kind of like a interesting little uh, thing and that's where they filmed the ninja teenage mutant ninja turtles movie where the sewer set was and all this stuff so you know it was such a great kind of um thing to be thrown into. And I got to say one more thing. I know I'm getting in the weeds. i will move quicker after this note, but uh, the um, before I got, before I finally got on set, I went to screen gyms one day and kind of dropped off this resume quote unquote. <laughs> and I'm just walking around the hall. Like, I don't know who to hand it to. I don't know what to do. Um, and I see this, do- this, is this door open and there's this, this older gentleman having a conversation with somebody else. And he sees me walking down the hall and he stops his conversation and comes out. And he was so nice. Um, and he, before I knew who he was, uh, he was Frank Capper. He was Frank Capper Jr. Um, Frank Capper Jr. And he was, he was, uh, I think the president of Screen or whatever he was running the place at the time. And anyways, he was so nice. He walked walked me around, introduced me to people, had me drop off my little piece of paper, you know. So kind. Never forget it. And then just cut to like my current office at Sony, which was uh, provided to me by a good friend, Nancy Currofer. Um, it's in the Frank Capra building, my office. (laughs) Love it. And it's just, what, what the fuck? Like, like what? You couldn't make it up. It's like this, just this kind of universe saying, here you go, pal, you know, cut to 10 years, well, 15 years later. And here's an, here's your first office, you know, at a a major studio and it's in the Frank Capra building. I just always think about Frank Capra Jr. Walking me around his office trying to help me out, you know, so weird anyways um so but back to uh, i'm a non-linear kind of guy i guess right now um um wilmington so i gripped 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 followed ended up making short films a lot we made a feature film in 08 great strong film community in wilmington um so spoiled rotten you didn't even know it until you left you know uh but I had to make. I was focused on making money while also getting on bigger sets. So uh, you know, and the work was sort of drying up in Wilmington. There wasn't so much you could get. So many people, and um, so I ended up going to New York for a little bit. I worked with Bradford Young on two features. DP learned a lot from him without knowing how much I was really learning. Learn how. Learn what not. Learn what you didn't need.
0: You know. Yeah, I was going to say what uh, what you learn from Bradford Young because he's far and away one of my favorite DPs these <laughs> days. Um, well, so I yeah. learned
1: first of all you don't like he 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 act like at the time at least he did not like film lights and we we even had to convince him to use some like bounces every sometimes you know like bring in 12 by he loved to use he was i mean from what i saw he would go into a room and obviously try to make it work but then of course you need some help here and there and once you block the scene out and so we would literally like we did a film called mississippi Dam and most of it took place in this um in this uh this small house in the middle of a, a hockey, North Carolina. And so, what we would do is, if like there wasn't enough light in the scene or he needed a little something, we would, he would have me tape a bulb uh, to the ceiling with gas tape. And then we would basically diaper that bulb with some uh, diffusion. I'm sorry, we would skirt it first with some duvetine to like take it off certain parts of the wall.
0: Of course, and then don't burn the place down with binder
1: clips. You know, we would just adjust it here, do this, do that, and then we would diaper it with uh, diffusion. And it, it would just cre- it was making a making lights essentially with like grip. And this is just like a, like a this is just like a, a household
0: like a household light bulb.
1: Well, no, I would say no. It was from the electric department. But uh, oh, gotcha. Got they, gotcha. I guess gotcha. They, they probably had some sort of a uh, proper color temperature and uh, whatever else uh, um, he wanted. But as far as like actually the apparatus we would create it you know we would cre- it, and it was just this it's got this look go watch Mississippi Dam and look at the stuff in the house for example and you'll see that's the look you get and that's what you that's what we did to get that look um he I remember him saying something like I don't want to speak for him but I remember him saying something like he like there's no like the, the filament I'm gonna get this wrong but basically if you HMI it's like the filament or whatever it is in that light That's not That doesn't exist in the real world. If you were just to put a camera on somebody, something like that, he just didn't like the uh, the idea of it being like a a a source. I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Oh, absolutely.
1: Just being there naturally. Um. So, and you know, we were shooting on we shot on film for that movie, I believe. But then I went to New York with him to work on a movie called Entre Nos, where he shot on the. was it a? It was a big old three CCD I think camera. It was a nice digital camera at the time, two thousand seven, eight. <clears throat> Anyways, <clears throat> he would make that thing look like a damn film camera. I mean, it looked looked really nice. You know, just to see somebody that's not a snob about even the format, but just like just the craft of it all, and just the uh, it was. You know, it wasn't like the 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 converse would be you know working on big stuff and like dp the dp just wants to like pull all the lights off the truck just because he's got them you know and guess what the the end result looks like crap
0: because i was i was that guy for a while and uh yeah i've very i've very much since leaned in the yeah well exactly like once you once you get all the toys um like you you feel this obligation that you have to you have to use them and you feel more professional when you use them and then you hate yourself because it doesn't look as good as what you want it to be and you're like oh i'm an imposter and it's uh just this horrible horrible cycle (laughs) well i
1: think the first rule of thumb could be you know like okay here's our scene here's our location um let's put the camera up before we do anything you know and sometimes you'd go in and you'd have dps or whatever already knowing what lights they needed before they even really put the camera up i mean you know and it's like maybe you put the camera up and just figure out your other stuff first and then you might not need much, but if you do, just then worry about it then, you know, and I don't know, a lot of times, it depends on what f-stop you want to play at, and how much you focus, you know, you focus on, if you, you know, if your f-stop's drop down, then uh, you need more light, et cetera. but, but anyways, um, but so, I learned a lot without knowing, in retrospect, I'm just so appreciative, and that stuff has helped me, I mean, what is, what's more valuable than, like, realizing that you don't need a lot that's like oh wow wait a minute i don't need a huge lighting crew you don't need it and i don't really want
0: it anyways. and going into yeah going into this micro budget world that we both sort of exist in now like that kind of mindset knowing that not only like is it a a good frugal mindset that'll save you money but the fact that you can get like extraordinarily beautiful captivating images just like um right. using natural light mm-hmm. and practicals and and maybe you know just supplementing a little bit here and there when necessary, like that's hugely liberating, and you can go with these skeleton crews and still get really, really beautiful images if you know what you're doing so like that's a such a amazing lesson to learn early um yeah, what's
1: well, that combined with the the benefit of having these these um you know as you, as I went to New Orleans, that's when you started seeing the Alexa pop up more a little bit of red, but mostly Alexa. And by, I'd say, 2010, 2011, you really just – 2010, yeah, you'd see just Alexa mostly. And then, of course, that advanced, and you start getting these uh, consumer or prosumer possibilities with, like, you know, the other cameras that we could afford to own or at least rent for a decent rate, which also had just great sensitivity then you have like these lenses that come out like the Sigma, you know, 18 to 35, it's like 1.8, what? $800. Okay. Such you know? a great so little like lens.
0: You, Holy shit. You man. don't yeah.
1: have. To, yeah. It's, it's amazing. So then it comes back down to the know-how and the craft and like, and you know, the Bradford young type stuff, or even like, I work, we work with a uh, Vilma Stigman, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day too, uh, of course. this show called Bolden. And that was the, uh, I mean, the most beautiful stuff I've ever seen. But if you pull back and looked at the, uh, the behind the scenes, we had I, I've never put so much flag so many flags up or helped put so many flags up in my life, and it was shaping light. I'm not knocking it; it's beautiful, and it's a bigger version, bigger big huge set version of what Bradford was doing those back in the day, you know. And it's, it's gorgeous, but like we literally spent this is an extreme example, but we literally spent all day for one shot on one of one day, you know. And it's like uh if you can do it, great. But anyways, um, so New Orleans. Been there for about two years, worked on some cool stuff, and uh, there's never there's always a plan to stop off there, but never to stay. I didn't want to, the plan was always to go to Los Angeles, but I did not want to be a statistic, I did not want to just go there without feeling really prepared and having some money, some decent money saved up, and um, <clears throat> always making shorts, still making shorts. Da, da, da. I go to visit uh, Los Angeles, this was like 20. When was that? 2011, I think. Um, just to check it out. And I'm staying at a buddy's house. Um, and I'm on Craigslist just messing around, just seeing, like, what the possibilities are. Are there any jobs, you know, directing? I just typed in director, music video director, video director, just search for that stuff. I remember them being, like, 20 things I, I could submit to for, like, you know, what seemed to be legit directing jobs. And that was not something that, that I ever saw elsewhere, you know, New Orleans or Los Angeles and i submitted to him and i had an interview the next day and i didn't get the job but i'm like damn i'm just on vacation in los angeles you know (laughs) like this is a good time and so i you know went back to new orleans worked on a bunch of stuff saved up some more money moved back out moved to la half a year later and just hit the ground running man i just got like all these video music videos and once you get that one or two that's really good people then see it and then they say yeah we want to hire you and you work for less than maybe the next guy or girl. So here you go. So 2013, um, I did like 15 music videos um, and Interscope, Atlantic, and like uh, what I did was basically um, I lived with a a buddy who was an A&R guy at Atlantic Records, and he didn't get me any jobs except for one, which did not go well. But um, he did give me some crucial advice of how to email artists you know, artists that are um, on their way up. They have huge, you know, at the time, YouTube followers, you know, lots like two to $300,000, uh, 2 to 300,000 uh, views on their videos, stuff like that. And I made a list of LA-based artists like that that might not have a lot of money, but they would give me some profile if I were able to, you know, shoot a cheap video for them that, was, that looked good. So I did that and I emailed about 200 people. And his advice, the AR guy's advice was, keep it do not be spammy do not give a laundry list of details just be like quick and like bite sized you know like and and and, uh casual about it and so that really that transformed into about 10 responses that were like yeah let's do it and then that that went into that 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 went to kind of five that were that we actually made and so anyways the point is that was that year for me, was just a confidence booster, and it was a it was a reality that I was so th- hungry for because who doesn't want to make a living as a director, you know? And I did that first year, um, and yeah. so that was that That's, was nice.
0: Yeah, it's um, crazy yeah. getting to that point out of the gate because I've I've known so many people who've moved to L.A. or or wherever with that aspiration, and then they they just sort of like skirt around the edges of the industry for. <laughs> You know, five or more years. They're a, they're a PA here. They're um, like a writer's assistant there. They you know fill the cracks by being an Uber driver or some crap like that. Um, so I'm curious how like was it was it sort of going? It it sounds because to me it sounds like you sort of didn't necessarily go straight for the industry itself, but for this like this little subgenre of music videos where there was more work to be had. There were more artists to serve. Um, and like you just went straight for that is that was that like your strategy out of the gate or did you just fall into that or like how did you get yeah well
1: well for me it was always unrealistic to just like expect you know to go to the studio gate and then let you in you know um i know that's a crazy example but but that doesn't mean that i wasn't always writing screenplays and like you know i was working on a big comedy screenplay at the time and um that that was i think i had written six screenplays at that point you know so always writing and um but that doesn't make money you know you always try to uh, reach out to people and get it off the ground but you have to do some other stuff too and so i think the big thing was like you 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 work for you do these videos for free i mean the first video i did in january of 2013 for a guy named roach gigs <laughs> um guy from san francisco super fun just artist great great music you know fun music he had a great uh he had a solid like fan base and like he had already had you know, a couple of videos that had a million and a bunch, most of them like average about two to 300,000. And so that was the currency for me. And like, look, we're going to spend half a day shooting this video. And I'm going to spend a week editing it. Of course I don't, you know, as long as we can get what we need to make it look right, this will be kind of a little bit of a music video calling card. Um So anyways, we went and did that. I had some, uh I had a good DP friend come out and bring his great, his nice, uh uh super speed lenses in his, in his red camera. That helped a lot that Was a favor that he gave to me, you know, and uh, and we just went downtown LA before it got so gentrified and uh, went and went into like the Batman, t- you know, the tunnel where the bat uh, they filmed uh, Dark Knight Rises in, and like uh, you know, just all this kind of uh, you know, uh, gritty backdrop. And you know, I, I also was very conscious of I don't like music videos that that are just that have these different backdrops, but you cut you cut back and forth to them the whole the whole time. I like it where this is what i presented to him and he liked this i like it where you spend the first like minute of the video at one location you get as creative as possible and then the the, the then uh, the, about roughly around the minute mark you cut to a new location you, you constantly change the uh the, the the backdrop it's a very simple free trick but i think it works so much better than just like the typical video that's like you know flashing back and forth through all the uh the backdrops, and by the by the one minute mark, you you're bored. You've already seen it, so you're seeing the same thing again. It's like no, let's mix it. So, anyways, I'm kind of rambling, but that I think that little that little thing, you know, and, and I use that um, on other videos. And
0: anyways, we got we yeah. shot the video well, I, and looked great. Yeah, yeah, can I jump in real quick? I'm, so I'm curious. Go ahead. Like I think it's cool that you you shot that um, you shot that initial one for free, and I'm curious to get your thoughts about that now because it's one of those super contentious ish- issues where some people are are just so adamant that you should never ever in a million years work for free. I tend to be on the other side. Like, I mean, if you're doing it with friends, if you're doing it because it helps you build a certain set of skills or it helps you get on a set that is going to help you network with people that are, are going to um, help you push your career forward. Like, I think there are a lot of valid reasons to work for free, but I'm just I'm curious to get your your take on this, given that it's become such a such a hot button thing in the film community.
1: I don't think currency has to equal dollars. I think it can equal something else, you know, as long as like you're you're not being abused, of course, um, or abusing others. Um, like like what happened with that video was we put it out and it got three hundred thousand views and it got me like so many more video. Like it led to a video two weeks later that got me five hundred bucks with Aloe Black. We made it rain on a front porch, you know we put a water hose on the, on the front porch and let the rain drip down and put it in front, you know, like made it for 500 bucks and then that got like 200,000 views. And then, and then, um, And then Allo Black wanted me to do another video, which had like $5,000, you know, I went from like 500 to $5,000 budget. And so that right there in like three months, I went from zero to 5,000 in, in three months. So it's only because we put the, the effort and the work in first and didn't worry about, you know, the, um, what was going on in our pocket. That wasn't the main goal, uh, initially. Yeah. But, um, well, anyway, so th- well, the it something... was like getting yeah. more videos.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's something like really profound. There is like, if you would come to LA and been like, I'm going to shoot MIDI or I'm going to shoot music videos and I'm not going to accept a penny less than five, five grand to shoot one.
1: Mm, it probably correct. would have been in like
0: a year or two maybe more before you actually got to that level but you can mm. accelerate it so quickly by just going in and doing the work and and doing like this you need proof something of concept to show thing. i think you need something and to it, pitch yeah you to, i mean and
1: it, any, would you want to give somebody five grand if they don't have something to show no you know? exactly no no, no and that's the thing. exactly
0: and it's like it it's creates sense. this flywheel though like you you come in and you make something yeah. it's good um you jump to something that's a little bit bigger because you know you've you've proven that you're you can do it and it eventually it creates that flywheel effect where it just starts spinning faster and faster and faster and you're you're now seen as a viable it, option for these bigger projects And you it's have like, the it's credibility just,
1: it's just visualizing too just like uh kind of connecting of the dots like or like a little map for yourself like okay I'll, I, that doesn't mean you should go and shoot a bunch of free videos for a year but like i'm gonna put as much as i can everything i have into this one or maybe two videos <laughs> and if it works out then great if not okay but at least i tried you know but but music videos also don't take much time that's the beauty of that but but anyways
0: so let's uh let's shift gears and talk about your your sort of history with feature filmmaking and more specifically like this this realm of micro budget features that we that we connected over so i know you mentioned you made one um i think you said in 08 back in north carolina but Mm Let's talk about what happened after that. Well, we we could also talk about the one that you did, like your your first feature that you shot. I'm curious if there's anything fun that you'd want to share about that, either on the the craft side of it or the the business side or, or what have you.
1: Yeah, I'll try to be concise. I drank too much coffee this morning, so I'm just trying to. I'm just a chatty Kathy as my, oh,
0: my woman. You and me tells. both. Yeah, um, you and me both, brother. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. but the, uh, so half empty, man. I that's still my favorite movie that I've been a part of, honestly.
0: Um, that was your so that was your first one the from first 08? one yeah yeah
1: and it's a kind of it's a crime comedy and it's based on a short film that i had wr- written years before when i was still in Kinston. and it's basically about these two guys who meet at a bar it's like a joke you know two guys meet at a bar one guy's having a good day one guy's having a bad day and you find out they've switched places without knowing it it's kind of the trading places type story but anyways um we just we had the wilmington community behind us the whole way and we just uh we had, we, you know, the best thing to shoot on was the HVX. This was before DSLR. So, you know, uh, and so the, the problem was that the, the film came out great and we won a couple of festivals. We won like a couple of grand from festivals alone, which was phenomenal. But as far as distribution, there wasn't any sort of uh, streaming yet. Um, there wasn't really many options at all and we just weren't able to, to land much. So it ended up being on, being put on YouTube and I think it's been seen over like a hundred thousand times and it sucks because it's like, can that, Please equal at least one dollar. Yeah, you know, but but that's just how it (laughs) went. Well, and that's the that's the just like a
0: I I keep hearing people say that like oh the distribution system these days sucks. I'm just gonna put my film on YouTube and collect that ad money. But unless, well, first (laughs) of all, like that, yeah, Yeah. the well, even even like these days, like there is still ad money to be made, but it's Mm -hmm. the people who put out like five. I mean, or even even one to two like really good videos a week but it's the people who right. make shit really consistently that get you know 500,000 a million oh, yeah. views and they do that week by week by week like that's what earns totally. you ad money and it like one feature film on youtube isn't going to get you to that point like as, true. as much yeah, as right. um so i just i just want to burst that bubble for any anybody Absolutely. listening who's just like damn it rob um but yeah go ahead
1: <laughs> well no, that's funny because um from that film, uh, my producer and co-director went on to make a bunch of uh, golf jokes. Right? They had this golf jokes uh, kind of phenomenon, uh, and they put it on YouTube. And they made um, probably I don't know, like thirty or forty, maybe even fifty two-minute golf jokes, and, and like they found huge success. And I'm not sure what they made on ad buy or ad ad dollars, but I'm sure it was good. Wait, so what do, you, good what do you what do you mean by part. what do
0: you mean by golf jokes? Like just like they're just cheesy. called the golf
1: jokes, and it would basically be like a uh, a two-minute kind of skit kind of jordan pill and key and pill or kind of like a you know just a skit you know um a beginning middle and punchline type thing and it would just take place on a golf course or just some sort of golf related thing um and it was proved to be an untapped audience people ate it up dude, man dude so dude, oh uh, my God. yeah
0: and that's that's killer yeah. and, and like they're it, still they're like, at it, I think. yeah and uh no i mean that and it's the kind of thing that you make for today's audiences. Like how do you, how do you create things that are actually going to spread online? You don't make a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't make a hundred minute feature film. Like you create something that people are actually going to put on, you know, they're going to share it across Facebook and Twitter and and share it with like-minded friends. And like, that's, that's perfect for that, man. That's wild star.
1: Yeah. But also it's fun. It's not even that uh, it's not that time consuming. It's like making a music video in a way where like, you're gonna spend maybe a week shooting and editing it and it's like you can get it out and get instant results you know it's a great thing um but uh but yeah um the second feature actor for hire um oh, yeah. 2014 <laughs> with your so bald that, friend so yeah my bald the bald one is it will be alec alec bald or jesse o'neill that's his real name my good old friend jesse great man um so that takes place right after my 2013 music video year we like, okay, we get a bunch of videos. Now it's time to try another feature. You know, We got a little got antsy. Let's do it. And um, at the same time, I had the other thing about the videos is I had put together the reel at the end of the year and I put it on the internet and people saw it. And one of those people was Dustin Taylor, a good friend from back home. And I hadn't talked to him in a few years, but he was like, hey, um, I might have a little money uh, if you want to make something. And I'm like, "Uh, okay. He said, like, what do you want to make? And at first, it was going to be The Reliever, this this film. I'm still trying to get off the ground about the guy you call to get rid of your clingy girlfriend. But um, it didn't work out. We needed a little more money for that one. So I said, well, we got this Active for Hire thing where we've already shot two episodes of a web series uh, that people seem to like. And so we went with that, and we also used that those first two episodes as the first, like, 10, 12 minutes in the film, you know? but it was shot on it was shot on the same format red and I had to re-edit it and tighten it up and do sound over and all that stuff but but anyways we went on to make that film so much fun not I don't remember it being any bumpy at all like it was we had we had the we had the resources we needed I think too that really did help just have we didn't have a lot of money but we had enough to be able to operate and go on to the next thing we didn't have to stop and start um and we just had a blast and it was, you know, based loosely off of um, Jesse's real life. Like, for example, the whole idea came from, he came over to my apartment one day in Park and Parker Brad and he was like, man, I just got hit by a bus. And I said, what are you talking about? How, you, how did you get hit by a bus and you're still here? And he's like, I was just standing at the bus stop and then uh, the bus drove up in the, in, the, in the mirror of the bus, hit me in my back of my head. <laughs> and I just thought it was fucking hilarious. Like, okay, are you okay? But now I'm going to laugh because it's so funny that you'd go to starbucks and meet him and there'd be like five silver macbooks and he'd be like the only guy with a tiny little black uh crap top you know what we call it just humorous so we built it around that and he's an actor and i said well what if like we do a disguised comedy you know and anyways uh you know it's like it's about this guy this bald actor who thinks he's not getting parts because he's bald so he gets the idea to sell his crap top for like a cheap wig goes back to an audition and gets the part and uh and kind of gets tra- trapped into the skies of that as he goes on set and befriends this big actor and he thinks he's got hair and it does you know so it's kind of just acting your way into uh being successful but so besides the uh the story of it all um we screened at like twenty five film festivals at the end of the day we we've premiered at the chinese theater with uh dances with films, which is one of my favorite festivals they treat us right um and we got uh, we got so many good write-ups. We, you know, Hollywood Reporter announced our distribution deal with Gravitas and IndieWire and all that stuff. So it was great. Sorry, I'm tooting the old horn. Can't help it. So proud of that film, though, and just the way it, you know, it, it went down. And that basically led to a decent return, um, but thankfully also a lot of work from from most people that were involved afterwards. Like Jesse ended up getting a big role uh, a substantial role in the new Godzilla film, and even the Watchmen. And it's all because of his agent loving the actor our trailer and then finally kind of going in some bones for me. Like I did some short films that paid a lot of money and some other stuff, you know, got money for my next feature, you know, yeah. so that was a great,
0: a uh, great time. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do want to dig further into that film. Cause we, we talked about some of the, some of the stuff that happened in the in the back in terms of like how many festivals you submitted to oh yeah and how how much you you spent on on festival submission let's so let's just start there like what was your strategy going into this because you you mentioned you like you put out some facebook ads and all sorts of stuff to like help promote this Mm -hmm. like what was your what was your strategy you hit you i don't know you you lock picture you you uh you get it done and what what do you do to start getting this thing out into the world
1: well, first of all, we got fortunate with such a, a cool ass investor. Like, we Dustin and I talked from the very beginning, you know, about kind of the. I said, look, this is risky. Like, I don't know if we can make your money back, but I know we can definitely get this thing out there if we put the money in the right place. Um, and um, obviously, priority being finishing the film, making the best film we can make. Um, so, anyways, he was always in agreement of like, yeah, let's get this thing out there, out there. So we we spent, man, we submitted to. Uh, <laughs> 160 film festivals, um, and we got into 25 of them.
0: How and much? That uh, was probably
1: about how much?
0: dollars. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask how much in submission fees. That's nuts, man. Eight, eight grand. Seven or eight
1: thousand dollars. Yeah, and uh, and and look, mm, as much as they say, some of them say, you know, work in progress uh, is okay to submit. Don't do it because the first eighty i hate to say it, but the first 80 were the bigger ones but also it was like the ones that we submitted not our finished, finish cut to and um meaning like the sound could have been a little better and like yeah, I, you know it wasn't as tight as it ended up being um and um that was uh a big uh but also i think that compared with like they probably most of those festivals wouldn't have taken the film maybe anyways now in retrospect because they were looking for other stuff but um anyway so but then not until we it's like it's you have to incentivize folks like dances with films not until they took the film did we then get into all these other these other festivals and um and so people thank god for them for for being keeping it real and wanting to you know be about the right stuff but anyways uh rambling again um 8,000 probably for the festivals and then ad buys and Facebook. Um, we had already built somewhat of an audience with the web series, which helped. We had the foundation there for Facebook and we kind of were understanding more so like how to use the ad buys. It, was, it felt kind of new at the time. I think it was somewhat new. So you could actually pay to advertise on Facebook and target and stuff, target the location of the people, target the interests.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a hell, hell of a yeah. lot less expensive. What was this? Like 2013? Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, well 15 by the time we actually were pumping that out but what but, but for example like we had one when we had our distribution deal and we had kind of our our big you know you got the big kind of uh, marketing posts that you want to just push out and keep it out there meaning you know like oh we we uh activar our available on these platforms click here you know um i think we spent about I'm to remember a couple of 100 bucks on that one it ended up getting us like 90,000 were like 100,000 uh, people engaged something like that i think and it was like you know it had 1200 likes at the end of the day like 100 like some shares i, I mean there's was, there was some more there was many more than that just that one but for, that was just an example of like it was very successful and it wasn't that expensive for what you got i don't know how it translates well, to sales
0: but then but, uh, yeah well exactly well then like if it's on your own platform like if you're using something like Gumroad or Vimeo on demand where you can actually yeah, measure yeah. the sales like that's one thing but then yeah, right if you're just if you're just throwing it to um you know like it's on Amazon it's on iTunes it's on whatever yeah. not only is that money which you know Amazon is going to take 40% um iTunes is going to take 40% or 30 depending on whether it's um uh like TVOT or rental or whatever um, yeah but that money's going to gravitas gravitas is gonna you yep. know they're they're gonna mark off their their expenses and mm-hmm. almost none of it probably none of it at least in those like initial like those initial promotional pushes would actually come back mm-hmm. to you the the filmmaker so even though you're spending money on these ads to drive attention towards it there's really not much coming back to you right
1: we did get uh some nice we were making money all the way until about uh the second year uh you know you get a quarterly You get, you know yeah every, of course you know every three months you know you get your quarterly and uh our first we 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 had some nice chunks come back um and so we didn't have a sales agent for this one because uh, we didn't need one because the film wasn't going to do well for it anyways because the comedy doesn't translate we're told um yeah anyway so i knew somebody at gravitas so we were able to cut a good deal i think they took 25 percent, and that was it with some distribution expenses that were not that terrible compared to the other options so anyways um they got that movie out there out there
0: yeah yeah yeah. are you willing yeah can you talk about the like the terms of of that initial gravitas contract because i I don't know if you're allowed to but like we you you, mentioned i'm able
1: to i mean it's, it's important to know for people i think
0: Yeah. So, what was just in the yeah broad strokes? What was what was that initial contract? And this is this is 2015,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. Look. Yeah. 2015. It was a seven-year deal. So we've got three years left, I think. And I think now they're like trying to get 10 or even higher. Um, and they just took 25%. There was no. uh, Um, I think they had no. Now they have a distribution fee, a delivery fee on top of their distribution expenses. We were also able to, they were really easy to negotiate with, you know, like they, they did uh, honor a few of our requests as far as dropping that expense fee down. I forget what the hell it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the trade-off was, we've probably been on 30 or 40 different platforms so far. And, it, and like the movie has been out there, you know, and I'm, I'm just scrolling through Roku channel the other day and I see Fire up there. It's like, yes. And that was always the, the main goal, the decision to, build the profiles of all involved and to get, you know, the movie out there as much as possible before making the money back. But Obviously the investor was down for that. And he had other ways of kind of, you know, he took a loss, I believe or whatever, but, um, so yeah, I mean, but I don't know what the alternative would have been anyways, as far as like trying to make as much money back as possible, like elsewhere, even if you could keep a hundred percent of it, you know, just at the end of the day, you realize he, you know, people don't know your movie exists, and if they do, a lot of times it's like they'll get around to it, kind of thing. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, it, it it also sounds like, um, like if making a profit with the film or or like turning turning the film into a business like isn't the explicit goal, but instead is is more to raise the profile of everybody involved. Then absolutely, it makes sense to get on as many platforms as possible to you know do do all this this outreach because you mentioned it was, like got on IndieWire and a bunch of places. Like that's the kind of stuff that raises your status in the industry, that gets you, you know, that that creates opportunities for you down the line that you wouldn't have otherwise had,
1: and also it does help the film itself too. You know, it does help to theoretically. You know, again, here's the problem that I like to talk about is you get a you get a quarterly back from um, gravitas, and and I and I've been told from anybody, and it's just so fucking like amb- ambiguous, like it's like. You don't – everything's abbreviated, and you get one page to, like, look at, and there's no sort of uh, understanding of where these – there's no demographics. There's no locations. You, you get, um, you get like, the platforms and what they did and what their percentage is and what your percentage is, and that's about it. Uh, and then you have a little line at the bottom saying, oh, and this is what we paid for, and you have to pay us back. Um, and so, yeah, but – don't you wish that you could just know so you could then like adjust your ad buys, but there's no information
0: for that. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. And like, you'll, you'll never know if you're working through a distributor through a sales agent or whatever, like it's, yeah. it's, it's very purposely. Where, where is the
1: democratic or where, where is like the, uh, where is the go-to DIY like platform where you can just put, where's the marketplace where you can just literally go and, and sell your shit and not be, you know, not have your pockets you
0: know yeah uh, well i mean like it and like the thing is if you're willing to do your own marketing and pretty much everybody has to like even if you're working with a distributor most of them will just shovel marketing back off onto you because they uh, either won't or can't spend right money oh yeah on it, um which is ridiculous like if you're doing your own marketing yeah. but you're not seeing any of the money come back from that because you know the distributors they'll yeah. you'll they'll cap their expenses extremely high mm. so that you'll never see any. like this well the like word
1: distributor is not even correct at that point right They're just that would be called an aggregator really
0: you know yeah yeah exactly kind of, there's you know. um but, but it to, is to answer it is. how it yeah, is to, it, these days. yeah sorry well, well I mean to answer it, so i think a lot about this concept of direct distribution where you cut out a lot of that shit that happens in the middle and you go straight to a fan base. Cause again, if you're if you're doing mm-hmm. your own marketing, which most every indie filmmaker has to do anyway these days, unless you're yeah. you know, unless you're working at like that that like five to ten million dollar budget range. And then you're not um, talking
1: about micro budgets, yeah, Right. Yeah. That, that's the whole other
0: stage exactly. to get to, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. But like if you're doing your own marketing and and trying to measure things, like I'm a real big well, first of all, having having your own website and analytics set up. Um, second, okay, I fine. love um, there's a couple of platforms you could use. Um, my favorite is called Gumroad. Um, and depending I've not on heard whether of them. so they have basically everything you need to sell your films directly to fans. You can set it up for both streaming and rentals. Um, or right, or huh? um and depending on, so they have a free plan, which I am pretty sure is a ninety ten split with them, um, which That's is the same good, as yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same as Vimeo on demand. But I think if you pay Gumroad, like it's their their professional plan, which comes with like additional features and ways to sell and whatnot, um, I think it's like a hundred bucks a year, and it turns it into a ninety five five split, or it might even be like ninety seven ninety right, seven oh. three. Um, it's somewhere it's somewhere Great. up there um but like that's that's one of those things where um you're going to get so much more bang for every marketing dollar you spend mm-hmm. um and you can you can so easily track it you can capture all of the all of the information of the people who buy from you so um all of their email addresses um all of like the the demographic and location data like all of this stuff that helps you um learn from what you're doing learn from every marketing dollar you're spending and then on the back end have an audience or a list of customers who've already bought your thing liked your thing mm-hmm. um that you can sell your your future films or ancillary products and services um you can sell That's to those so people and, right there oh dude right yeah um Whew. so gum gumroad is my choice um and there, there are other like vhx was one for a while and then vimeo bought them VHX. and yeah. yeah um yeah and i don't know well, uh, that, they yeah go ahead
1: sorry to interrupt you i was just curious but i don't want to forget so like as a consumer, um, and I was on, like, my smart TV, Gumroad's easy to find. Like, they obviously have their own app and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, so... And the I'm interface not, is okay. And it's, it's one of those things, like, I think it's, um like, it. I don't think they... I don't know if they have an app for, like, Apple TV or anything like that. And that may or may not be a problem. Like, I've watched films from yeah. Gumroad on my TV, but, like, I can... I just stream stuff to the Apple TV from my computer, which maybe right. some people who buy a movie aren't aren't like that technically inclined or something, which that's not to say that's a right. very technical thing, but um, there, yeah, there might you in know, fact people be people like
1: they're, they're so comfortable with their, their, you know, like
0: to the point where like on your remote now you have like an Amazon or a Netflix
1: button, you know? It's like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's the thing It's, it's the
1: like cornered. It's
0: well, it's one of those things like, or it's one of those reasons that the niche approach is so powerful is like when you make mm. a niche film, that's very specifically tailored to this this group of people to this niche Mm -hmm. it creates more desire to watch it it's not just oh let's go to amazon and find any old film to watch it's like no there's this thing that is so specifically relevant to my interests and my passions and my identity that i am going to watch this thing no matter what i'll watch it on my computer i'll watch it on well I wouldn't watch things on my phone because I'm not a masochist. You kids these days watching <laughs> shit on your phones. But, um, but like I'll, I'll yeah. spend five minutes trying to figure out how to beam it to my TV from my computer um, like if, mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm really into it. Um, but like it comes down to me really wanting to watch that film as opposed to um, what's most convenient. Because again, that's, that's what makes niche films sell is yeah. the, sheer, the sheer relevance to a specific audience. So I always if, think
1: about that. Do you remember that fire? The uh, the film. It's about five years ago. Acts for a hard time where it was is a firefighting film. I think it was fiction. I forget what it was called, but they cleaned up. I think they made about a million dollars. They spent. I can't remember what damn movie was called, but it was I a perfect like example. Yeah, I, think.
0: I feel like I did. talked about this on like one of the first podcasts, and I am totally basing oh on it. Let me see. Yeah, yeah. Let me yeah, Google it.
1: But I think they went around, too. Speaking of Mitch, they went around and I think uh, screened it at different fire departments. Now, think about how many fire departments are in the country. I mean, it's brilliant Mm -hmm. as far as Mitch filmmaking is concerned. You know, and it's speaking to those people. It's a movie for them. Yeah, Um,
0: exactly. I always think of that one. Yeah, they'll tell their their families and their their friends who will will watch it because they support firefighting and, and the people who do it. There's probably you almost
1: get through that residue. You get you get through that kind of layer of like, it's like it becomes a film that feels discovered by these people and it's theirs, you know, as opposed to like what's this? I haven't heard of it. Who cares? Yeah,
0: yeah. And once you start like looking for examples like this, there's there's so many. Like there was one, like a a really actually a couple big ones that maybe like a year or two ago. Like one was a wrestling documentary, um, called Resurrection of Jake. Yeah, Jake the Snake. Yeah, that. That cleaned up in the like the the wrestling com- the pro wrestling community because the, right. the people Brilliant. who love them some WWE and especially like the the more like the older school wrestling from the 80s and 90s like they love that shit and will eat it up. Um oh yeah and it and it spread like wildfire. Another one, I forget what was it uh range fifteen maybe? Um I think it's in Alex Ferrari's book, the Film entrepreneur book. Um but mm-hmm. it, they, they tapped into um, U.S. Army or U.S. military veterans, which is a huge, oh huge group of yeah. people that's really well-connected. Um, and it's just that shared identity, that shared experience, that shared set of values. And the film, right. like, despite, the, despite the fact that I think it was like an action comedy, like it was made up of veterans. Like They casted veterans. The film was about veterans in certain ways. At least I think so. I haven't actually seen it. But... Um, like it, it really tapped into that, um, that demographic or that psychographic or that identity group. Cause that's, that's how I like to think about niches is like, is, uh, is identity groups more than, more than like totally. demographic data than it's like, it's not age. It's not, it's not, uh, like sex or, or income or, um, right. region or anything like that. It's about what people believe about themselves and how do they associate with other people? Um, like that's, makes if you too can, much if sense. You, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm I i do not even remember what we were talking about, but like this is this is what dominates my every <laughs> uh, waking hour. <laughs> and marketing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Marketing yeah, yeah. And I'm still yeah. trying to Google this firefighting movie and I can't find it, which kills me, but
0: Dude, I'll uh, I'll look it up uh, I'll look it up afterwards and maybe include it in the show notes. But you talk I- about
1: profit, like they have like Rocky One type or whatever yeah, Rocky One type profits where as far as how much they spent with how much they made, I can't remember the damn name. I just hate that it's not pulling up though. You know, I'm, I'm typing in low budget firefighter movie. I tried micro budget too. It didn't work.
0: Uh, let's anyways. see. There's one called Only the Brave. That was r- more recent. Ladder 49. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, you know, I'm, yeah. Anyways, we
1: got a lot yeah. to talk about anyway. Yeah, probably. Uh, but no, but I mean, what do you think right now as far as, so Gumroad is, interesting i'm gonna check that out you said didn't you say last time that tug actually went under oh dude
0: yeah just uh just yeah just last last week or the week before um tug i think they officially declared bankruptcy unlike distribber which went into this weird sort of uh i have no idea what happened with with
1: them they just closed up shop and left town yeah
0: they, they closed up shop left town um they didn't officially declare bankruptcy and they hired some um like some outside like accounting legal firm to um, handle their remaining assets and basically uh, take oh. all the heat from all the customers they pissed off and didn't pay all over right. like uh. their last. <laughs> um, so there's there's uh. a lot of people with the distributor mess who just are never going to get paid. And well, so there might also, be...
1: Like what, so where, where is the... I mean, also they're... they're I got, Well, they could obviously just take their film elsewhere now, which is sucks still but right i mean they don't they don't have to honor any sort of contract Mm -hmm. or no it's all self-distribution anyway so like people are literally left with like two or three or four year old movies and no platform that that will take it yeah right yeah i mean well they
0: i so i'm pretty sure that you had to you had to write them to take your film off of Amazon and iTunes oh, and, right. and all of that, and I think a lot of people actually did have success going through um, Prime Video Direct. So just like reuploading yeah. to Amazon and getting their um, okay, and even getting like all their reviews and and ratings and all that from before transferred over. At oh, least thank
1: God! Okay,
0: well, dude, that's that's the that's, that's the big one. Um, at least I think so. I've heard <laughs> I've heard mixed uh, I don't know mi- mixed reactions or mixed case studies on on that one, but. Um, I'm reasonably sure that most people were eventually able to get all of that like old metadata if if that's what you want to call it transferred over to their to their film um after they uploaded it themselves okay uh, oh. which is
1: good well thank is, God yeah. yeah yeah,
0: great, great, but yeah, and the same Man. thing just happened to Tug, which, as people may or may not know, was like one of a handful of platforms that you could use to yeah. um essentially for wall your film to to get in contact with a bunch of like theaters and and pre-sell a bunch of tickets beforehand so that you could like know if you were viable in a certain area. So Tug was was really great and it's it's still not entirely clear what happened to them. Um, but it's uh, it's sad, man, because you know it, those yeah. those types of well, services you, 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 were uh, yeah. Go ahead.
1: You want to commend them. You want to you're so happy that people they're out there trying to you know provide a home for filmmakers like in that way and it's just sad when it doesn't work out you know
0: but (sighs) yeah dude and it and that's one of the things like i i know i know you can still work um with some theaters just going like directly to them sometimes it's on a on a profit share basis sometimes you have to pay up front um and and that's something that you just have to figure out on a on a case-by-case basis if you're still trying to four-wall your film or or just like show it theatrically on your own without a distributor
1: well i would like to say too so uh, over the past year as far as my latest film chameleon's concerned like um i did have a plan to uh well kind of an experiment really to uh for theatrical and (laughs) It was – I basically created a database of every single theater in America, which is ridiculous. It takes forever. Don't do it.
0: Just every theater honest. in America.
1: So I went to <laughs> – what is the website? Yeah, and uh, it's an it's Excel sheet where I went did every theater in America, and then I, uh, I think there's uh, – how many are the there? 600? No, that's not right. Three, no. Besides the multiplexes, of course. Um, the AMC stuff or you you can actually like reach out to directly to to be considered like the um, single screen theaters or like uh, two screen theaters or even four screen kind of strip mall theaters um, that still exist Um, anyways uh, then I I I was not able to, to get emails for every single one of them but I got emails in every state for everyone except for the ones mostly the art house ones the ones that kind of like the landmarks or even like the, uh, the art house theaters in Pittsburgh, you know, there's all, every single city has kind of a small cinemas, you know, that, that put on independent films. Anyways, I emailed probably a couple of, hundred, uh, 200, something like that. And we're back from quite a few. And my, my goal was to see if they would just take the door and I could just scream there, you know, ultimately. But of course, they're not interested in that they've already heard heard it all from everyone probably. And they were like, here's a four wall. Here's our four wall race you know, and it's just to the point where like, you have to have a budget for that. And there is no path for a small movie. I'm not knocking them. It makes sense that you're sitting in their shoes to a degree. But I, my whole proposal was, can I have one night and one night only one time slot on a weekday? I'll put advice into it. Just don't charge me to screen there. You can take the whole door.
0: Yeah, Well, that's, that's interesting. uh, Cause I I have heard, yeah, I've, I've heard from some people who have been, uh, who've been able to do that. Um, or who who've been able to um, essentially screen for free and then um, make money on merch mm-hmm. and things like that on the back end, yeah. while the theater theater yeah. keeps you know the the ticket and concession revenue and all that. So I yeah. I I've got to believe there's a there's a way, and it might be on a theater again on a theater by theater basis. But
1: there were a few that seemed to consider it, and I didn't feel like badgering too many of them. I, if I would have stuck with it a little harder, maybe. But then it felt like I was just kind of. Picking up crumbs. You know what I mean? Like pocket change out of the couch or whatever. But, um, but, it, but the idea was to just get it out there on the big screen as much as possible. Instead, we just kind of accepted our five festival run, which was, which was good. And we just kind of moved on with our sales company to, uh, to, uh, a, 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 you know, distribution. But, um, uh, which I guess would be a good time to talk about Chameleon real quick, just to get it out of the way. The last film, um, so it's a crime film. I always wanted to make a crime film. I'd always made comedies. The first feature was kind of a crime, but mostly comedy. Anyways. Um, I had an investor who s- promised she was going to put in the, uh, the 100 grand that we needed. And then four months passed. And she's like, yeah, um, no, sorry. Just <laughs> kidding. Like, Oh, so then, um, I had, uh, a uh, good friend of the industry who knew about that and said, well, here's five grand to get started. And then I got another couple of grand and we went and shot this movie for like $6,800. Um, actually purchased the red camera, shot the film, sold the red camera. That's how we did that. Uh, and we made money off of the camera actually because they jacked the price up to three grand after we bought the camera. Anyways, um, and we just had a bunch of great people come together and, you know, again, the currency for them and for me was not U S dollars, but just being in hopefully a good film that they knew was going to get at least like a profile to it, you know, based on the last film. And, um, and it has, and we, you know, premiered at the Chinese theater and, uh, we've, um, I think our artwork is fantastic. We've been, we've we're fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, baby. We're like a hundred percent fresh, you know, that's a good look. And, just tons of good stuff. You know, it's a simple, good kind of throwback noirs type film, '90s type crime film, um, and uh, it's been a, it's been a blast. It's been fun, um, and we we just signed a deal with. Uh, I don't know if I can announce the deal, but we got our deal locked in last week. Finally, oh, and nice. they're gonna blast that bad boy. Yeah, they're gonna blast it out uh, around late spring of this year. All the all the uh, the usual uh, S vods and T and T vods, but. Also we have a really good shot at just like some good pay cable channels like possibly Showtime or you know, we'll see what happens. There's nothing guaranteed. But uh anyways, feeling really good about what we have with, with where it's gonna end up and again just accepting the fact that profile is again gonna be our currency with this one. But I s we spent half as much as we did with that 'cause we're too. So
0: um anyways. Yeah definitely uh, by. yeah. My, like minus the or the the investor pulling out, I'm curious how you think about raising money for these micro budget filmmaker mm. or these micro micro budget features because um, it's it's Clearly something I'm that it's like that the far. well it's the and yeah. it's the perennial and well and it's funny to me like thinking thinking as uh, like somebody who who does occasionally invest a little bit you know and not invest invest mm-hmm. like I've got a I've got an IRA for oh, retirement emails yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. People. Well, no. I don't invest in films. Like, I would never invest in film on the on the basis <laughs> of it being a, an right. investment. Like, I I might give money yeah, to some yeah, friends yeah. because I believe in them and I like them. Um, yeah. And if I happen to not be broke at that particular point in time, because that's always right. a factor. But like, it it blows my mind that people still invest in indie film and micro budget film. Mm. on yeah with some kind of notion that it's going to turn into money on the back end. And usually it's because the filmmakers are like trotting out, like, <clears throat> well, look at the Blair witch or look at Napoleon dynamite, oh, well. which, which are, you know, like those, yeah. those Outliers, like, big time. white, white whale, like once in a lifetime lottery winners. Um, and maybe yeah, there's, yeah. there's a little bit of like pulling the wool over certain people's eyes. Um,
1: but also, those films don't even ever. Nobody ever takes into account like the added post budget that that Blair Witch got when it got picked up, or even like the P and A of that stuff. I mean, nobody. we and when we talk about our micro budget films, we we talk mostly about the P and A, you know, and that's included in our you know in our conversation. So the reality is not what you want it to be, but the reality is this shit's expensive, you know, and it's just it's hard. It's saturated. So
0: yeah, and but, it's the same I mean, thing with that the... being said. Oh, go ahead. I
1: think we're going to make, I think we're, we are going to make our money back. We will make a little bit of a profit on Chameleon because we spent so little. Yeah. But if it were, as you speak of, a niche audience, more of a niche audience, as opposed to people who like, cinephiles who like crime films, which is not a niche audience, really, um, yeah. then it could really probably do some damage. But,
0: yeah, but, well, and that's the thing. Like, you know, if you if you want to make a a like a crime film or just like a classic genre film, like more power to you. But it's you're just going to have a really hard time standing out in the marketplace, and you're right. You're you're going to have to go through those third parties, through distributors, sales agents, whatever, because they're they're the kind of people who are yeah. going to be able to reach the the mass market in some kind of way. And even most of them can't really reach the mass market. There's just so much noise and so much competition.
1: Well, you know, um, you hope that foreign sales could be a factor and and it has been a little bit for us. We've sold a few territories, which is exciting. Yeah. But there but if your movie's so low if your movie is like so uh without familiar faces, first of all, and then the buyers are like, nope, no thanks. They would yeah. lose money by taking it for free because they got to put money into subtitles and dub you know dubbing and stuff like
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: the reality too for foreign sales. so it's just one of those things uh where you better be as specific and exact as possible if you don't mind if you unless you want to lose some money
0: yeah and uh, like that's, the, crazy. And that's the thing like i like i i really wish because like i i grew up like watching uh like tarkovsky films and i really like you all know, right like, Ter- like terrence mallet i'm uh, vaguely pretentious i guess i don't i don't know no no i, don't um, know. I I'm, I'm with you i'm with you <laughs> And as like a, as a filmmaker though, you, you
1: eat it up, and the so, yeah. is so high, the, the quality exactly, is so high.
0: yeah. And it's well, and it's one of those things too that like I wish there was a path for me to go out into the world and make that kind of film. Um, yeah, but the market just but craft isn't there, and equal we
1: return. That's the problem, right? Craft yeah, is not exactly. equal Return.
0: It's all about pop- popularity equals return, status yeah. quo,
1: marketability. Well, well marketability.
0: yeah, yeah, popularity and it's, is uh, marketability. Yeah. And and that's, that's where the whole like niche approach comes in for me is because like most, most filmmakers right out of the gate, they're shooting for the mass market because you know, that's, that's what Hollywood does. That's how we've all been taught to think mm-hmm. about film is like, like, and even, even the phrase niche down for so long, like mm-hmm. has just meant like, oh, you want to make a niche film? Well, just pick a genre because then you're like, oh, a rom-com is a niche <laughs> film or sci-fi is niche right. or, or whatever. Um, but even that, like those, are such incredibly broad, saturated categories where you, as a micro-budget filmmaker, basically have zero chance of standing out, and that it just sure. completely sure. defeats the purpose of niching down. Because it, at its core, like mm-hmm. niching down is about finding a segment of the market that is is relatively unserved or underserved by by film. And like that's yeah. the thing is because so many filmmakers totally. focus on these mass market categories, there are so many of these small and to my mind identity driven like media ecosystems where there are other content creators there's people with blogs and youtube channels and podcasts but there aren't necessarily filmmakers so it gives you a lot of opportunity to go into these small segments of the market into these niches where there is already a proven hunger and a proven demand for content and essentially be this this ginormous monster in a tiny in like a tiny lake i guess as opposed to like a a (laughs) inconsequential uh microbe or like piece of plankton in the vast ocean of just like commodity big budget hollywood media um and it's great
1: sentence Uh, yeah well i think even looking at documentaries right now i mean it's kind of a good example mm. of what works i mean most documentaries work because i think they are tapping into a niche to something
0: yeah um and it's it's you know i mean like yeah like i and this is something i've thought a lot about and i like Most of the good like DIY or direct distribution case studies tend to be documentaries. And I I think there's a couple of reasons for that, or a couple of reasons. And like one is because like out of the gate, they almost always are niche. They're very topical. They're about something that a specific group of people are interested in, or at least most of the time. Not always, but
1: right, um, right,
0: right. And then another piece of it is like documentary filmmaking, like especially at lower budget levels, is extraordinarily like a grassroots boots on the ground community building, um, like just out talking to people and spreading the word, like it's just it's in the nature into, of the
1: form itself. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. So like, I, I think I think documentary filmmakers, especially like the, the micro budget ones have, have just naturally like stumbled onto this niche approach just by the nature of documentary, like the documentary form itself. Um, and that's why, like, and it, it's weird to me because I think a lot of like narrative filmmakers, people who want to make series, things like that, like they look at that and they're yeah. like oh clearly that works for for doc filmmakers but it'll never work for us but like when you well, look at what's actually happening with docs and why people are buying that content and why they can build these communities and audiences around it like the core yeah. principles are exactly the same like we we just have well, to and the overheads it. lower
1: let's you know the overheads lower oh, but
0: yeah. also yeah i we're finishing up a doc right now uh, about my hometown in
1: kinston it's about uh, the basketball talent that comes out of there. We've had the most NBA draft picks per capita out of anywhere else in the world. Brandon Ingram's from there, Jerry Stackhouse, da 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 And so uh, – but also they have one of the kind of – they don't like to talk about it, but it's true. They have one of the highest crime rates in the state of North Carolina. So it's a very interesting spectrum that this story lies on. But um, But the point is, like what I've learned by making my first doc is that it is definitely an editor's medium in my opinion you know like you're as opposed as opposed to you know fiction you know uh, narrative fiction um where you're kind of more in control and you're creating the illusion and the authenticity and controlling it this is more so like managing authenticity that's already been there but then how do you shape it into the most compelling story am not saying you don't do that also with, not with fiction but you know what i mean the 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 no,
0: you're defining the story and yeah, in, in, the, uh, yeah,
1: the in the, in in the a documentary,
0: documentary like the editor is is god just like shaping shaping the world and sure. telling like you can tell a million different variations of any given story just based on all the on all the raw wrong footage you get like it's 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 kind of overwhelming honestly <laughs> it, it's it's
1: uh especially if we don't like the 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 editing
0: <laughs> you know um
1: but but i mean not saying that a director couldn't provide some sort of fresh perspective i mean i think a director w- you see a lot of documentary directors that were once editors i guess and it's for a good reason you you know but i think that is the biggest hurdle to, to, to jump over once you if you move over but i think it's also important to for every you know narrative fiction filmmaker to do to do a documentary if they find a subject they they enjoy because it. it is it's got its own awesome qualities to it like again you don't have to create the authenticity that's what's so great about it it's like oh these people are real with the fiction you have to create you have to maintain the real
0: you know yeah anyways yeah i don't know no and i i'm 100 100 percent there with you and like even if you don't have like edit a documentary like everybody who's interested in filmmaking whether it's just writing or directing or like being a dp like everybody needs to learn how to edit because it informs yeah. everything that, like, uh It's I, so
1: underappreciated, uh, mostly, I think. Yeah. It really
0: is. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you just, like... Because I I was a DP for a long time, but learning learning how to edit early on in film school and, like, editing a couple of my own short films, like, that informs your your shooting process. It, it informs, like, what kind of coverage you need to get, whether you... Uh, all, and, like, you right. learn very early on, like, get a shit ton of, like, cutaways and inserts and things like that to save your ass in the editing process. Right. You're always going to need them like 100% of the time. (laughs) Um, But
1: also when you explore the power of, when you explore your cut, you explore your footage and you don't just settle on, you're not so, so uh, sure of what you know the film is going to be before you edit. Like if you just really explore that cut, like we did with chameleon, we did 35 cuts on that thing. It's like you will make your film better and you realize that the script is very important, but it's still just a script. It's still one phase of the uh, of the process. You don't, I don't think you serve yourself by being so, this is my opinion, so uh, what's of vocabulary uh, so like just gave me? maybe like precious, locked yeah. in, yeah. yeah, on the on the script. You know, I'm not saying you should write it on a napkin and go shoot, but you know what I mean. Like definitely be open minded. You know, and I think test screenings also help with that too. Know what you want also know where it could be better and you and know where like a, a a hive mind that you trust could you know could make you know having the same note three different times like maybe you should think about that, you know, as opposed to doesn't matter why you thought it would be good in the first you can't you can't expect to be one person that, that knows the best for every single decision you make in a film.
0: Yeah. You know, so that, that Tangent, gets to the, sorry. Uh, no dude, it's I love it. And it gets to the core of like why I really hate the term out tour and people referring to themselves that way because like it's a tricky term yeah and it and it's one of those things like there there are people who who write who direct and then edit and just like shepherd the creative vision all the way through and make the bulk of the creative decisions and like at a certain point you do have to say like this person is uniquely responsible for this creative piece of work the author of the film yeah exactly um and like that doesn't necessarily discount. Um, all of the other people who have to help because like narrative filmmaking in particular, like there's there's really no way to approach it that it isn't a team sport. Like it's, it's just uh, just such a complex, mm-hmm. ridiculous process that requires a lot of people to specialize in individual pieces of it. Part but. of me
1: wants to defend tour theory and the other part, when you actually do it, you think about all the help you've had. It's definitely totally a team, team thing. Um, I would say, I mean, I don't know. If like you're a writer director, if you had to pick one word, I mean, tour does be being the author. If you're writing it and directing it, but a lot of times though, if somebody else is shooting it and they're providing such like visual stimulation,
0: yeah, and that's also the thing kind is kind of like you, authorship, you know, and like you you don't know like medium. what the what the relationship between the director and the DP was because you know some some directors like they will take charge of that process. They'll tell like what shots they want framed. They'll they'll dictate some of the light or not dictate I'm the kind but you, I'm kinda like that. I can't help yeah. it
1: though. It sucks. I hate, well, I, mean, I hate
0: I hate it. But yeah, I mean you come, come from a yeah I come from being a come from being a grip and working in the I don't know the camera and lighting department. Like um it's part of your language and part of how you communicate I'm guessing. But like there's also directors who are just like you guys take care of that shit. I'm gonna work with the actors. Um make it look yeah. good. And
1: and you know what if you listen to bob richardson talk about Tarantino, he's all he's like adamant about and he's a special case i mean i think he's a very talented dp but his seems like his um approach is totally i'm here to serve the director i don't think a dp should serve the director but i do think their what they supply should be an extension of what the director needs and wants you know but, but this is up for debate it's a whole kind of just even the tour of it all is totally a yeah not everybody believes in that it is it is a collaborative medium for sure even if it is even if you do have a three-person crew and you do everything you still have to guess what you still got to go to post i didn't mix my sound you know i didn't uh i didn't sound design but i didn't i'm not the one that's responsible for it sounding so damn good you know yeah and I think, anyways
0: i don't know i think more of my beef like even if we, we could keep talking about this but i think my my beef is more that i've come to learn that like if I surround myself with people who are smarter than me in various ways, or, or more, or who have different skill sets than me, then I'm an idiot for not really taking their 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 creative input and their suggestions and and running with it because I know that that ultimately is going to make it a better thing. And like like I, a part of me feels like to be a true artur, maybe you do have to be kind of a dictator. And like that, I don't know if that's that's necessary necessarily true or not, but you have to, you have to take ownership over, over so much of the process that you might cut out a lot, of, a lot of suggestions that may or may not have ultimately resulted in a better product. But because you're, you want to claim authorship over so much of it, you, you end up um, essentially do, doing a disservice to the final product. So I don't know. It's, yeah, it's and that's really where, weird. Yeah. And that's
1: where I think test screenings and getting feedback is very important. I think you can dictate yeah. and know what you want without being a dick
0: (laughs) Um, oh yeah yeah and if you're a dick everybody's uh, gonna leave you eventually like well that's
1: not necessary just plain and simple you know even if you are frustrated or whatever no you got to keep your cool because nobody said directing was easy right um but um but but i think uh you know if you are if you have to do a lot of the stuff and you can't afford the ones that are better than you to collaborate with sometimes you have situations where i think all tour does make sense but ultimately my goal is to just direct and have people that are, I, want, I don't want to shoot my own stuff. I want Bradford Young to shoot my stuff, you know, but I can't afford Bradford Young. And uh, anyways, um, yeah, there's diff- I think there's different different types of films are different, uh, you know, they have different ingredients, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and, and that's the know. thing is like, there's there's so many different ways to put together the puzzle that like you kind of have to take it on a case-by-case basis because like, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. So one but, thing but you mentioned – oh, go
1: The goal is – I'm sorry to interrupt you again. My main goal always is to serve the audience first and not myself. I know what I want. I know what I want to express. But the goal is to, to, to pack that audience out and leave them with – to be to, to give them what was given to me when I was like a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old, whatever, watching somebody else's film.
0: You know what I mean? That's the goal, whatever exactly. that takes yeah give them give them an emotional experience that they won't forget 10 minutes later like they will the new like marvel film or whatever like it's it's right yeah yeah but like oh what i was about to ask is you mentioned test screenings earlier and i'm curious Mm -hmm. because like obviously you can read about like how hollywood does it and and all of that and it's it's this very uh, i don't know um a sort of complex process of getting people to fill out these very specific questionnaires and and whatever. But I'm curious right. how you have you so have you I guess first of all have you done it on a on a micro budget project?
1: Yeah. So the last two films, we um, my girlfriend Jillian, um, my baby mama, um, worked at Annapurna, and then she, she works at Netflix now. But like she's been able to to get me like a screening room for both projects at a decent rate, and so that helps to kind of bring in a gr- uh, to get an audience feedback and and to have some 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 specific notes but also to kind of leave it open too to ask them what you know let them uh make any more notes of that anything that that you know usually threw them off or whatever but when i say test strings i also want to include even just emailing people and asking them to take time to watch the screener link and to give any feedback they might have that seems to help a lot too i think the goal is to like try to find uh edges that you can sand down a little bit more you know or even like just make it smooth and make it make people feel more than think. I get, I don't know. It just depends on like what, what you're looking for, but it's all about just getting the best end result. And like, if you get the same note more than once, you really got to look at it. And if, and if, and if you're getting that note, it's because you didn't think about it first, you know? And that, that's the whole point I think of getting other people, if you're making it for others, not yourself.
0: That's at least I am,
1: you know, to a degree. So.
0: That's interesting. With those uh, test screenings, so you, let's say you rent out a, a screening room, do you uh, do you primarily invite people who are involved in the project in some way to take part in the test screening, not, or are you looking for well, random well, people? Or yeah,
1: friends, friends, people in the business, people that um, people that are in the business, but also people that are not. Like I, I want my dad to watch all the stuff before. I want normal people, you know, like people that just go and watch movies and don't make them to give feedback. <laughs> Again, it's for them. Um, you know, so everybody that's willing to come and watch really, but if you're like, you know, like the Annapurna screen room, there's only like 20 seats in there. So you got to be kind of precise about it, but it's like, it's just the value of giving them the experience of watching on a big screen too. They're just more attentive. They they treat it with more respect. So you you get more detailed notes, uh, but you can still do that without having some fancy screening room. Yeah, you you of course send your screen link out, or you can even like have people come over to your house and get fifteen people together that way, which we did with actor for hire,
0: and it helps. You know,
1: yeah. But friends do want to be friendly a lot of times, and I think um, they don't want to be as hard on the notes. And I think film people that are used to test screens, that are used to like the process of it, usually are pretty helpful in terms of uh, you
0: know not really caring about how you feel as much as just. (laughs) Goal yeah. in mind, which is let's yeah, make this movie as
1: good as it
0: can be. Yeah. Not treating you with the kid gloves. Yeah, yeah, which is important. So I guess the the thing I'm curious most about at this point is um just looking back on all the micro budget film work you've done, all the features you've directed. I don't know how many how many have you directed at this point? Like three, four,
1: three, three,
0: three features so far. yeah we got nice. the, uh the new one coming this this yeah. year. So. Just on the on the business side of things, I'm curious what the what the biggest lessons you've you've taken away from all of this have been because you've kind of uh, it seems like you've spanned quite a quite a range of time in terms of you know the the business side of the industry and how it's how it's evolved and how it's changed and been disrupted like like fucking crazy the last couple of years. Um, Yeah. So I'm just, I guess I'm curious to to know what you, what you've learned along the way, what you've, what you've taken away, what your, what your strategies are going to be going forward on the business side of things. Because again, you, like you've, you've lived through a crazy time. So I'm curious, uh, yeah, what there, what there is.
1: Well, um, the first thing that comes to mind personally is, you know, when I was starting out, I had these dreams of being the next Christopher Nolan or Steven Soderbergh or, you know, people that made it in their twenties, late twenties or whatever. And then of course you become thirty something and you feel like a failure and like okay, I think I think the lesson for me is like, you know, you uh, it, it's it's not you have to you have to it's like you you got to expect to have to fight you know and you got to expect to uh, keep at it. I mean, it's ever how I think it's in relation to ever how bad you want it. It's not easy at all, especially with um, the kind of new the wild wild west that we're in you know, digital world or whatever, so much saturation, so much supply, not enough demand, right? So as far as a solution to that, I don't know, but I do know that there's um, ways to kind of suppress the blows a little bit. I think, you know, the good news is we can all make a film for very cheap now, you know, even when it comes to to nice visuals and sound to a degree, Um, you know, so all that stuff's covered. um, So it becomes even more so, really back to film theory and back to uh, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to express? Um, Are you trying to entertain? What are you doing? And I think just, I don't know, just trying to be as creative as possible, not just in the screenplay and the production of it and the editing, but also like, as you, as you always point out, like the the business side of it and like, how do you get it out there? How do you, how do you um, get people to know about it and care about it? And then hopefully purchase it or want to see it. And I mean, there's practical little stuff. Like I think a lot of filmmakers don't really even seem to think too much about their artwork, for example. I know that's not the end all oh, be all, but that is kind of the it's gate. It's
0: such a big thing. Like it's yeah. the
1: door you, that that the consumer has to go through need, that before they press play on your film, for example. And that's something that since acting for hire, I've been really kind of anal about. Um, you know, and uh, to the point where if you have a good enough piece of artwork you don't that's one more reason why maybe a distributor a sales agent whoever would take you on that's one major thing they don't have to worry about if you've done your kind of due diligence um well what else uh the trailer is also your big this is all known already but i mean these are things that just always seem to be so vital for moving from like a finished film to the marketplace right so if um you have a good trailer, which does—that's the trickiest part, I think. You know, you can't afford really a trailer editor, but you can maybe get creative with like a one-minute or a minute and a half, like kind of montage type trailer or whatever it might be. Those are two key things that seem to really help you transition from finished film to marketplace. Yeah. Uh, now there is a. Don't spend too the other, much, yeah.
0: Oh no, I'm just so there was a, a post yeah. on No Film School by this this guy who um it was it was a really interesting post because he's like. I made a such and such feature film for like a really low price, and like it was, it was fine. It looked pretty was good. The recent for, one, like two weeks was, ago or something. Yeah, recently? yeah. I saw um, it. Yeah. And he he shared the trailer, and it was like four and a half fucking minutes long. And oh, I, I know. What? I couldn't even make it to like the second minute i was like all right i'm done and i'm not i i just don't care about this guy's nobody can
1: use that like why four and a half minutes? nobody can use that two and a half kind of too long really now
0: yeah and then he he shared Mm -hmm. a bunch of like clips from the film and it it was exactly sort of his slow and and um unstructured and Mm -hmm. not good sound you know um and yeah. I, I don't remember. It was just like the tone of the article was like, I did this amazing thing. I'm so great. Everybody listened to me. And then yeah. it turned out to be, I don't know, it just, just kind of a dud, but whatever. Um, I did an article
1: the, for North Film School after Actor for Higher Cause. And I was trying not to be pretentious or like, look at me, look at me. But like, I was trying to be helpful. And um, we did a, a, from A to Z how to get as many eyeballs on your micro budget film as possible. Right. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes, goes into even like what we just talked about with the trail and the artwork. It's like that, but like, you know, every letter of the alphabet as far as like what, what we thought five years ago was helpful in getting it at least out there. You know, to the point where you, you're covered by major or, you know, the same press that covers major studio films, you know. Um, you know, so, I, it, but it's always changing. I think the, the number one rule now is just don't spend too much damn money. And if you do spend enough, if you have enough money for a familiar face, then God bless you, you know. But if you ain't got a yeah. familiar face, dude, don't don't spend dude, too much money. Here.
0: Even and, and like even even the the economics around getting um, known actors, like they're even that's changing. Um, that's not guaranteed
1: either. Right. Yeah. Oh, exactly. You yeah, yeah. like sell. there's there's all get sorts sell. of
0: stuff that's you know in that in that like five hundred to a million budget range where they, they manage to get some, you know, like C level or B level actor. And mm-hmm. it's still kind of toxic in the marketplace like a lot of a lot of sales agents and distributors just, just, they just won't touch it because there's so much uncertainty about their ability to make money on something like that now so it's well, like the whole
1: actors are just in everything you because they <laughs> yeah. saturated
0: themselves you know yeah exactly and it, yeah weird weird sort of supply and demand thing going on and it's yeah it's just another one of those reasons why i'm so gung-ho about the niche approach is because all of those old rules about like oh you have to be very strict and stringent about choosing a specific genre and not crossing over too much you have to be mm-hmm. you know like you have to you have to get a list talent otherwise nobody's going to give a crap like all of those rules go right out the window when you take the niche approach because the thing that attracts a mm-hmm. niche audience to your film is the relevance of the story you're telling it's the it's the characters that reflect that group of people it's themes that are are relevant to their lives that they feel throughout their lives that's what they want to see in the media they consume mm-hmm. not necessarily fucking brad pitt being handsome on screen for 90 minutes like mm-hmm. that's that's fun and all but it's not it's not what attracts a niche audience to a niche film and like that that's so liberating to my mind because yeah, it, it allows you to, yeah and it, like if you're part of the niche yourself like what that essentially allows you to do is tell the stories that you care about, the stories that express your own identity, that, that tackle some, some piece of life that you're really passionate about exploring or sharing or whatever, and then send that out into a world to a, a, an audience that's going to hugely appreciate it, that's going to that's gonna talk about it and share it and care about it. And that's just not going to be true if you make yet another basic-ass rom-com
1: and like I don't, I don't want right. to
0: like shit on rom coms, but like, it's, but it's just it's,
1: 2020. It's, you gotta, you gotta elevate from it. It's not yeah, I mean, you can do yeah, it. Like, if you yeah. want to make money, good luck. That's just the truth. I mean, yeah,
0: exactly. And it's like, how how can you make something that's not a commodity? Like that's that's what it comes down to. Because just like almost every kind of media at this point is a is a commodity that right most people can get for free on youtube like if you just want to watch some comedy they'll go to youtube or yeah. they'll they'll be on on netflix and just watch the latest whoever special or something well, but see,
1: what I, I I gotta say too like that's where it's that's the scariest part about the current marketplace for filmmakers is like consumers aren't even really inclined to pay for any movies anymore but it's, it's all right i mean advertising dod is kind of the big current thing and people are willing to watch a commercial every 10 minutes um and it's just kind of a scary thing. How do you, I mean, obviously you get some ad bucks, but I mean, where, where, how precise is that, you know? And it's just, it's just, it's just, it's rough, but you got, you can't spend too much money. And the, what you're saying is totally accurate. I mean, you know, I think going, finding, finding that niche where people aren't, they don't need a status quo so much as a, uh, a topic that they're engaged in
0: yeah yeah and and like if you if you create something that has that sort of like topical relevant pull and it's going to resonate with that group of people more than anything like disney or netflix or hulu or like any of them are making um Mm -hmm. then you're you sort of automatically break out of that not only can you you charge real prices you might charge 20 bucks just for like the the direct download of the film or the like lifetime streaming or whatever um, and you can you can do that when you have that connection with the audience you can all like and it's it's one of those things that just breaks you out of this this race to the bottom with content where everybody's going back to AVOD because audiences are sort of burned out on subscription platforms and like traditional V or TVOD is kind of dying but like, if you have that connection, right. and if you create something that people genuinely want that they can't get anywhere else in this crazy, saturated media market, then mm-hmm. the, the like the the ball is back in your court. Like every everything then right. totally. works in your favor because it it comes back to supply and demand. You have something that isn't just a cheap ass commodity that people can get anywhere else. You have something that they want, and they're if you're be filling to a pay specific for space, yeah, that's not being filled. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. It makes you're, too you're, much sense yeah, you're, you're filling a desire that's not being otherwise filled in the market. And like, it's, that's... it's
1: like, it's like BESPN in the 80s. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I dude. mean, that's an
1: extraordinary example, but you know what I mean? It's like, they, no, like... it's a, it's a anyway. great example.
0: Like you, you find a, a new market and then you, you tap into it and like, and who knows, like maybe eventually the market grows and it becomes more saturated. And then you, then you further niche down. Like I'm ta- I talk I talked to a lot of people in like the, um, the faith film space because that's like one of the original like og identity driven niches to me and like every, like anybody who's in the what? film business knows that the faith film sector is where the fucking money is um because what the, is it like faith the, film oh faith like faith-based films like religious christian oh, films oh
1: yes yes, yes, yeah, yes
0: yeah 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 like that's that's oh, where yes. the the real cash money is made um but it's totally. also one of those things like and they're they have their own streaming platforms they've got a couple big studios there's some big names but it's it's Mm -hmm. Ripe at this point because there's there's so much content. A lot and a lot of it is sort of like generic, fluffy, feel good family stories because you know that's what you know what a
1: lot of people have enough crap in their lives day to day, they just want to come home and feel good
0: too, right? Yeah. Oh, 100 percent one hundred percent Yeah. And lifetime kind of similar to that. Yeah. But then again, you you think about this this market. And the fact that I don't know how many how many Christians there are across the U.S., but you'd have to guess that there's you know fifty million, a hundred million, something crazy like it's a sizable Robin. portion of the country. I'm um, gonna
1: Google that right now, actually, while you're talking. Yeah, stuff. and I,
0: I, yeah, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's really interesting stats on it. But then, if you think about this as a micro-budget filmmaker, somebody who who's making something for 10, 20, 50, 50 grand, like you're very intentionally keeping your budgets low so that you can recoup right. faster and profit faster. Mm-hmm. You can you can niche down within the faith space. So like use that as a starting point then and be like, you know what? I'm gonna be the guy who makes faith-based horror films, or I'm gonna be the guy who makes like really gritty hardcore dramas that like lean into the the uh, moral ambiguity and like just the shitty situations that everybody faces in life. Like I'm going to be the guy right. who makes, who makes faith-based films around that that aren't, you know, like fluffy feel good <laughs> family films. Um, right. and a portion, a portion of that faith-based audience, at least I have to assume I'm not, I'm not part of that, that niche necessarily, but I have a lot of friends who are, but like, even if you can only siphon off, um, like one tenth or one 100th of that audience, um, you, still are going to stand out from the crowd because there's, there's so much just sort of like cotton candy content that if you come out with something that's dramatically different, that's appealing to a small segment of that market, you're then a big fish in a small pond again. Um, even though the larger pond of faith-based films is, is, is very saturated and has lots of big players. If you niche down even further, you can, you can use a lot of these same techniques and and still tap into um tap into these identity groups so i don't i don't even know how i got on this rant i am just no i mean you're just you're just passionate about the topic i mean but it's it's such a thing that i'm also trying to
1: you know explore more and think of more and apply more you know and that's what i it's it just makes a lot of sense uh as far as the christianity stat um i'm getting percentages but i'm not getting any actual like
0: So what what are the percentages? Because I think there's like, what, like 320 million people in America at this point? Yeah.
1: Well, here's the problem. It says 65% of polled American adults identify themselves as Christian. So it's like, and then they polled, I think, like 200,000 people or something. It's like, okay, that doesn't help me. But they do say that it is declining from past you know oh yeah absolutely we're, 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 it we're, is but, but either way i mean it's a, it's a help very healthy you know
0: yeah it's it's a but, giant uh, it's a giant it. ass market and a very passionate market it, that for, for me, a long time I, was underserved. i'm not very religious
1: yeah. i'm not very religious i, re- I totally respect who knows I, I believe that none of us are sure about anything anyways but i i respect anybody that is so um but for me to make a faith-based film i just feel like that i feel exploited i feel like i'd be exploiting i wouldn't personally you know but someone that that does believe i think they should go and make a faith based film for sure because you're gonna get you're gonna be passionate about it but you're also gonna be uh touch you know reaching people that, that also yeah. feel the same so yeah and be, i mean that's, that's why i'm
0: uh yeah and that's why i'm so big on like this you when you're when you're thinking about choosing a niche for your films like you don't necessarily go into the market and say oh that looks like a profitable one like for starters, right, it's, sort right. of, it's sort of like a cynical way to approach it. And because this whole approach is based on essentially playing the long game on doing this as like a marathon and not a sprint, because ideally you make right. several films for one niche and you cultivate this audience over a long period of time and build relationships with, you know, like other influencers in the niche, like you really have to optimize everything for playing the long game. If you want to build this sustainable, um, consistently profitable business. Um, and if you, if you start out of the gate with a niche that you're not necessarily passionate about and you go after it just because you think it's going to be profitable like that it's such a recipe for burnout because you're going to spend so much of your yeah. time and energy there. Right. And if, if you just don't give a shit, um, ultimately that's, it's, it's going to translate into the films you make. Um, Cause it's going to be clear totally. to people that you're, you're not really a member of the niche that you're, you don't care about them, but like if you don't have that enthusiasm, like you're just not going to be able to keep it up for long enough to be able to build that kind of business. So that's why I'm so adamant that you start with your own identity. You figure out what what it is that you really care about, and then you look for where that expresses itself in the market. You look for those groups of people who've come together um, on the internet in particular to discuss this thing and consume content around this thing. So you start with something you care about and look for that reflected in the market. And that's what allows you to have that sort of like perfect. Um, uh, I don't know what's, what the word I'm looking for is. Just a, a synchronous, I don't know.
1: Bullseye intersection. I mean, I think you just, yeah, you simply take that and you sit down and you write out what you just said. You know, you try to challenge yourself on like, what do I care about? Who, who am I within? What, what audience would I fit into? And for me, I did this recently and I just might be a, a cop out, but like the only thing I could come up with for myself and this is kind of sucks for me, but it's like, I'm kind of a cinephile kind of guy who likes to watch Criterion channel. And it's like, well, shit, I can't, that's not a market to sell to, to expect money back, you know, but it's like, okay, again, how do you apply? You got to accept the fact that craft is not equal return, but I think applying craft to something that is marketable is the only option like you've been preaching. Um, Well, I mean, well, a a lot of marketable, marketable, uh, a lot of commodities don't necessarily have the craft with it, but but I think when you can apply the two, it's uh yeah you know so but for me it's like I guess my target audience is cinephiles and people that make you know films and that's kind of like a space, but it's not really uh it's just a niche technically I guess, but it's not something that that's going to bring you a ton of money back. But the reason for the film tournament that I'm that I'm we're going to start this year is that's where that came from as far as, okay, what would I like to see? What would I feel, uh, what would I want to be a part of, you know? And like, how can you at least do more than just make a film? How, you know, spending all this time, like talking to, uh, you know, to uh, getting on podcasts or talking to, uh, doing a no film school article or just doing like getting reviews from other film lovers from your film. It's like, okay, well, at least there's a lot of us out there that do care about the same thing. There's a lot of filmmakers that have sacrificed and like, believed in their movie or movies and so like what can you do that's not really out there that could be fun and not super duper time consuming you know so what do i love i love sports i love basketball from north carolina what if we we don't need another film festival we really, really don't um, but what if we did like a tournament where it's like kind of a fun fresh competition and we don't have to limit it to your, your new movie it can also be your old movie that's our that, that just is just sitting there. That's what kind of bugs a lot of filmmakers, I think. Like you feel like you have one shot and then it just uh, goes on wherever it goes and then it kind of dwindles away. It's like, okay, time for the next movie. So what about having a little bit of a retrospect retros, retrospective for your past film? I think that's a fresh kind of cool, cool thing. So, sorry, I don't mean to do a hard segue into the film tournament, but it kind of applied to what we were talking about for myself. That's the reason, the motivation for this thing. It's not just, you know, I don't think it's, it's not a festival, but it's definitely just a kind of a, a film event specifically for people that, you know, are making movies for a low price, you know? Um And kind of just saying, you know what? Like we don't, we're not going to play by everybody else's rules. Like, like people are so ageist, especially film buyers about the age of a film. And it's just kind of annoying because that doesn't mean that other people that missed it don't want to see it, you know?
0: Yeah. Good. Amen. So. I, I, fucking love that because there's there's i think there's so much untapped potential just like sitting around on um like people's like vimeo pages or oh my um, god or or they just like throw it on a hard drive because they got like really uh like burned out and depressed after their festival run so it never really even saw the light of day online in any kind of way like um there's, there's yeah Totally. But like one of my one of my favorite concepts in the film world is this idea of creating something that's a perennial seller. And there's a there's a book by Ryan Holiday, um, by that name. I think it's just called Perennial Seller or Perennial Sellers. But it's this idea that you you create things explicitly with the purpose that it's not just about like one big event. Like you get your distribution deal, maybe you get an MG, and then voila, like that's the that's the best it's ever gonna get. Like you create something that's meant to sell more and more over time that that has sort of a timeless aspect to it that has this uh like we we talked about at the beginning of this that has that sort of word of mouth mechanism built into it as well that is earning you as much or more in 10 years as it was when it was released and i think there's a lot of films that could do that that just never never see the light of day but to get back to the um the film tournament after another little tangent just because no, it all applies yeah. though. It's all in the yeah. same sphere. Exactly. Um, so what well, no, I, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna
1: say it's like um what was I gonna say? Just, as I said as I was gonna say, I thought, forgot what I was gonna say. Um film tournament. So yeah, so I think again, we're not the solution to that problem, the, the end all be all solution, but I think we're just trying to at least provide something that that, that can can make uh, older films relevant again even if it's for over three days you know um but not just three days of the event but also just leading up to it like a month and a half from the event which is november um you know we want the first round is like we we all, the only thing we do is pick 16 feature films and eight short films that are proof of concepts for feature films everything else is decided on by the people that choose to participate in the process so anyways um you know uh god so much information um, 16 there's 16 films like they can be new, but they can also be old. We just want to like hopefully pick the best well-made films that, that have been made for under 250 grand um, and a month and a half leading up to the round of eight, which starts kicks off the event, those first 16 are chosen by an online audience that nice. their, what what artwork and synopsis they they want they are interested in the most. Just as if you were on Netflix or wherever Amazon, the world we live in today, and you're looking for something to watch, and you say, "Okay, this caught my eye. Let me let me, let me click next just to, to let me press play." Yeah. And then once they press play, the idea is that film goes on to that next round. Yeah. So that's and the then it's watched plan. by industry yeah. people, not just not just us, but industry folks
0: yeah and so anybody anybody and everybody will be able to vote on that like come time for that first round right. yeah, so we will yeah, that's cool. exactly like it'll that.
1: it'll just be a link to from 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 Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else it'll it'll lead you to the website and we'll just have a simple layout of like what you um the, the sixteen films and the top eight, even though it's kind of like presented as a bracket tournament, really, it's more so like the top fifty percent move on to the next round if that makes sense. There's not really film one versus film two so much as just the top 50% of each group of films move on. And so the, the, the top eight films that have the most liked, you know, artwork and synopsis. I don't want it to be just a poster tournament first round. I don't think it's just that. It doesn't mean that you're just voting on your favorite poster. It's like is something that you're interested in, you know, like with the synopsis along with it. Um, I was going to do trailers as well, but I, that's just limiting, too limiting, I think, you know. A lot of people can't afford great trailers at that price.
0: Yeah. I wonder if you could like find a way to make it like people go head to head. Like now director that would be fun. director A and B are going to fight to the death. Go.
1: Well, that is that's the final, well, that's the final kind of uh so uh, basically when you get down to eight, you get down to that first, uh you get down to the, the second round and you have eight films, eight features, eight shorts. Cause we want to, we want to also, there's a lot of great short content out there that, that also people, the only criteria is that it has to also perform as a proof of concept for a feature film down the line that you'd want to make. Right. Um, so, but like the thing is with that, with that, with that second round, we have, uh, we have like industry folks going to watch the, uh, they're going to watch as much as they want to watch and they're going to pick their favorite four and then tally it up. And those final four will move on to the third round where you have, um, four films that are decided on by uh, the same group of critics that watch all four films. And then their five-star system, or maybe 10 star, whatever the system is uh, that we decide on basically those top two best reviewed films move on to the final round, which is basically decided on by a live audience vote on the final double feature of November 8th. Um, So, you know, so the idea is like, okay, as you go and watch a film like you look at the artwork you press play let's let's check this out then you watch the movie and if you like if you if you don't like the first 10 minutes you're probably going to turn it off and go watch something else but if you but if you do you're going to continue watching and then the idea as a filmmaker is well you hope that it's critically you know like it reviewed well um and then you just the ultimate goal is to just present it to as big of a lot, you know, audience as possible right so just trying to reflect the the, the kind of marketplace or just even the the, the what I've experienced as a micro budget filmmaker, just the different phases. Um, and then it wouldn't be a competition or a good contest without some good prizes, which yeah, we're was constantly, my next
0: question.
1: yeah. Yeah, we're constantly, um, I'm trying to uh, add more and more, but like, and we're, we're looking good. So since we last talked, actually, I just locked in um, eFilm, which is owned by Deluxe, and they've come on board to be a sponsor. This is where Roger Deacons colors his films, by the way. Um, and um they're they're gonna offer one full day of color correction to the winner for a future project um I know it's just one full one day, but if you have your you gotta have your shit conformed you gotta have your the the agreed to do pro res you know uh if you have your shit conformed and streamlined and you hand it off to them, they will make your film look like a big old movie um and we colored our li active or they are every one day and chameleon every one day, so it can be done it looks great so um that's a fun uh uh prize and then also I've been talking to black magic and they haven't said yes yet but I got a good feeling I'm trying to get them to give me a camera to give away um so just trying to build the prizes out and uh you know kind of carry people give people something to carry on with them after things over and make it a little
0: easier on them as they you know uh, yeah. you know it's not over the gear but I think yeah. the gear helps you know there were there were some other prizes too right because uh, I read it, I read oh, on yeah. uh, like the Film Freeway page. So what what else is there for, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. so you have, um, well, so well, so the first round obviously is uh, the 16, round of 16 is like just a little bit of online presence, not really a prize, but you get your film kind of, your film is getting talked about a little more, your artwork, you know, it exists again. The uh, second round, round of eight, I consider one of the prizes being these industry folks who are, you know, watching your film and then they'll give a quick blurb on what they thought. And you're literally having people that are in the industry, you know, uh, watching your work. And those are so far, we have Nancy Kerhofer, um, who gave me my Sony office. She's a, she's just an amazing human being. Who's been in the game. I mean, she's post-production supervisor on some of the biggest stuff ever. She actually did like Memento, which I love. That's my favorite little Nancy tidbit, but she did Dr. Sleep most recently. And she's doing Mike Flanagan stuff and all this, but, um, she, but post production supervisor, you I mean, you're the producer of post production. It's like in my mind, like a lot that goes on into it. It's not a sexy title, but man, it's legit. And like she's an amazing person. Um to for to have watch your film. Um, Jillian longnecker um, and a head of physical and a partner now she's at Netflix. Um, she will uh also be one to participate in that. We have Paula Marcus, who um was the A D on Greece. <laughs> um, but she's she's now uh she's uh she got into the finance side of it uh b- film business side of things and she's all excited about the tournament we have a few other people um sarah anthony uh i believe she said she would do it <laughs> she will um she's uh a big documentary producer she she won sundance last year for i think Kailash, maybe she just did um bikram the bikram doc anyways so we have a lot of uh we have a few others that are not coming to mind, but we have quite a few people that are not only down to do this, but really excited about the idea. And the other thing is me talking to the people that I do know in the industry that are working on big stuff. For some reason they want to sit down and talk with me. Um, they all are thrilled about, thrilled about this idea. Like they just love just the the, the, the fresh model of it all. So I don't, we'll see, man, this is the first year. We'll see how it goes, but I think there is something to it. and, and, we've, we've gotten a lot of nice submissions. I mean, that's what's exciting. We've only been open for a few weeks and they are out there, but we just want people to just submit and see, cause I don't want anything to get lost. That could be so great to be revived. You know, I think that it's just a matter of getting the word out and getting people to know about it, you know, as we move towards
0: November. Yeah. Well, I mean, this'll, this'll help. I don't know. I probably, you were on oh, like yeah. no Gnome, Gnome show and maybe like Alex's you, you should get on oh, yeah, Alex's no, as well um actually no
1: yeah he, we did a podcast last two weeks ago yeah um
0: no, yeah I mean, he, he's great the, Noem's too,
1: Noem's yeah. the i well, love this, that guy this is the thing yeah he's yeah but it's but i start you know listening to i listen to you guys because i'm interested in the information but then you realize like there is quite a few even just podcasts meant for micro budget filmmaking and it's like there is a space here for this you know for like where can we actually revive some of this work as if it were like a uh, a really famous foreign film that gets revived 50 years. You know what I mean? Like, But what about all the people that the shit gets falls through the crack? But before I forget, the uh, the final four round would be – the reward is that you're, you're, your your movie is getting reviewed again. You're getting more press. You're getting all this stuff. I'm also working on having the final four receive um, – well, final draft I'm working on. I don't want to mention something we don't have but I am trying to give an idea of what will probably be there. Um we will give out some sort of prize to the final four people besides just the uh, you know the actual nature of the contest being being reviewed. Um I, either DaVinci Resolve I'm hoping they'll do that or Final Draft but whatever it might be we're going to we're going to provide some sort of prize for that and then the final two will obviously get something specific but the winner the big winner has to just go away with like bozos grand prize game you know like get like prize remember that show like it just needs to be like a just like a basket of goodies like so that's the idea and 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 then we have um the backup plan is uh the the worst case scenario will be that that there'll be like a full package rental uh free free of charge for for the next feature for whoever wins but um but i want to be able to just like give i want to be able to give the winner like something they can all and not have to worry anymore about not saying you should need to shoot on black magic for example but like if you want to i mean it's a great camera it's like amazing what these guys have done for twenty five hundred dollars in the dynamic range and all that shit that you get with
0: that you know mm-hmm. um anyway yeah, man no, i'm a, I'm a, I'm a um, big black magic yeah. fan
1: so you know it's pretty incredible that's that's some 2020 shit that's a whole other conversation as far as how they've disrupted the digital cinema space i mean good lord it's
0: insane, yeah, I had some guy, email me. yeah, I had some guy email me this morning he's like he and uh, he's like a first time filmmaker, and he was asking if he he should buy an Alexa, and I was like, Mm-mm. oh, I just said a uh, Alexa and my actual like Alexa Amazon thing just popped off how that, that's kind of funny um, <laughs> but um yeah, You're he asked what? if he if, if he should buy an Aerie. and um I was like, dude, you can like it's the best camera in the industry hands down everybody loves it uses mm-hmm. it it's easy to use it it'll give you the best images beautiful great period. great roll off whatever yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. but like you can get like 90 to 95 percent of the way there for 2500 bucks now um and on and i also well, it, like it's it's crazy to me that we're we're at that point um but yeah i don't know where well I look i mean being, a rent,
1: being an owner well i would love to just touch on this real quick too how the other way that this industry has changed for owner operators, you know, like I'm sure Noam could speak on this because he got an Alexa, I think, is like even since shared grid and kit split, which is like the owner operator version of streaming and whatever, it's like since they democrat- or since they basically drove all the prices down, anybody that wants to rent and get a red camera get can get the camera can get like you know an Alexa for I think as low well as two or three hundred dollars now, you know,
0: yeah exactly. Like,
1: you can't justify spending fifty, sixty thousand dollars on a Alexa to buy when somebody's only gonna rent it for, for, for guess what, three hundred dollars and they only have to pay three days a week. You know, it's like um that's the problem with spending too much. But also like your audience does not give a shit if it's shot on Alexa or Black Magic. They just don't get over it. They don't care. Maybe filmmakers, but the average audience, if you know what you're doing, you can make a black you can make a uh iPhone look amazing. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can make a Alexa look like shit.
0: Yeah, that was so, that was going to be my next point. Like, if you're a first-time filmmaker and thinking about like investing in something like that, like just try making something with your phone first. Like, get those just those silly, really basic, like it. yeah, like film grammar skills. Like, learn. learn We're all to, guilty of
1: it. I'm guilty oh. of it. I like to, <laughs> to fantasize about a better. I've owned two red cameras so far, and like the first one, I had the old Scarlet X, which we 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 got the money back in like two months. I think three months after purchasing it. This yeah. was twenty. 15, 2016, 2016. But it was just different then. Now, and then I bought the next red camera to shoot Chameleon, and I ended up selling it after I per- after the film was shot because I couldn't rent the damn thing to save my life for more than $100 a day. And it's like yeah, $18,000 exactly. camera sitting in my closet? No, nah, I need that money back. So just anyways, to each their own, but these cameras are good enough now. It's all about the, the craft, how you frame it and all that shit. Yeah, amen, brother. All amen. that
0: stuff. Sorry oh yeah I, i'm pretty sure we've been cussing like this entire time so no. i know <laughs> i'm trying
1: to backtrack now um but as far as this film tournament one last thing it's like we were also by the way my, my right hand man in this uh is uh my man jesse o'neill aka the bald one uh <laughs> actor prior, star of actor yeah prior. he's he's also very passionate about we've always we, we met because we bonded initially over just 90s films and just dvd you walk into this guy's house and he has a huge cabinet full of just dvds still you know how can you not love that guy oh yeah and um, anyways he's he's the movie lover as well and uh and he's so excited to help me out with this too and he's he's kind of focusing more on just the event side of it um which we're both obviously we have hands in but he's he's got so many great ideas on how to kind of just those three days to not just be a, a place to screen films but to also just have just as much of an atmosphere and much of an environment as possible and have filmmakers come together and just you know like get to know each other and and hopefully continue you know talking after you know we have a um, we have a round table for filmmakers usually you go to a film festival and there's 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 uh, panels of other people talking that aren't a part of the festival but we want to you know, have a round table with the filmmakers involved in the the tournament talking,
0: you know, sharing their war stories
1: too. So there's a lot of little stuff like that in, in, a, in a adjacent to the screen. Overall.
0: That's cool. I, the only, I'm, you might've already thought of this, but it might be cool to have, um, some sort of online community that's attached to it as well, just so that you can bring together yeah. all the people who, who submit and all the people who want to just keep talking yeah. about micro budget film, whether it's a Facebook group or some other, like there's a million different community platforms. I love that you
1: said that. Well, I'm in the process of, of uh, <laughs> excuse me, uh, starting a, uh, launching a, a website for that. And I'm trying to figure out exactly what that should be. And right now I'll just tell you, um, it seems more like it wants to be like a, um, a film critique review site with like past, present, and future films. Like each post would be a a retrospective film, the, um, the, the, then a current release and then a coming soon type thing. And it's kind of catered towards lower budget films, maybe not necessarily micro budget, but like lower, but I mean, even back in the day, like Jean Pierre Melville, I mean, he was making Casabettis, whatever. I mean, th- this is not anything new. You have filmmakers that have made a lot of stuff that stand the test of time for very little, and that's the idea. That's the spirit we're trying to kind of, you know, encapsulate and keep going as you do with your podcast. So, as far as the website, I do want to keep honing it, obviously. But but there's some there's some germs there. There's, there's some germs terminating there.
0: Um, so. Yeah, man. Well, if you ever want to talk about community stuff, like I've tried like literally every, I would love to. every, every platform out there, every, like, I, it's something I obsess about, not only for like my business, but, yeah. you know, I have a Facebook group and then I have, like a very private community called Freedom Fighters. that's built like off of oh, Facebook right. on my own little platform. And I should invite you to that. I think you'd, uh, I think you'd dig you it. should. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would love but, to. Like, I, definitely but, talk about that stuff. Yeah, but I I obsess over community, like partly because it, like it's great for business, yeah. but also because it's in the dna of micro budget filmmaking like it it's one of those things where it really takes a village of people just coming together around a like a shared a shared goal and and like you you have to you have to treat it like a community where you like it's it's all about just like giving for something bigger than yourself and and surrounding yourself with people who are you know invested in this 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 bigger cause this bigger vision and like it's it it adds like a, a certain richness to your life when you can have a community like that. As I'm sure you know, oh I've made a couple like it like it's even a when solitary, you're, uh, yeah, dream, you know, to make yeah. a film. So
1: you want to, yeah, it's like it's like it's like uh water when you're thirsty, like when you finally get to talk like we're doing right now. Yeah. Know, being able to connect over the same stuff that you usually are just in your head about a lot of times. And
0: mm-hmm. I will say Amen.
1: guys like you and Noam and everybody else, Alex, that have been doing this for quite some time, you know, it's commendable because it's needed
0: you know yeah and i think think the space is just going to continue to grow because again like the 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 technology these days to make stuff is going down like the the education barrier to be able to you know be pretty damn good at the craft like there's there's a lot of like silly crap on youtube that isn't necessarily like good education um you know there's like a lot of a lot of like people making educational videos who are just like copying somebody who's copying somebody who's or copying it's Peter just McKinnon. Or like so obsessed
1: with consumerism, like, oh, we're going to film me opening this camera uh, coming out of the box. It's like,
0: what? Um, Oh my God. I can't, I can't, I still can't wrap my head around that so much. Or, or just like, here's, yeah, here's how you get your footage to look That's cinematic. Good. And then it's like, just slap some, yeah, slap some black bars on it and give it, like, that that orange-teal color grade, and voila! I know, right? I <laughs> I
1: know. Guess. It's like, I oh know. my god, forehead
0: yeah. slap. Um, but, shit, I forgot it. I, that, that's something I could rant about, just, like, YouTubers I know. teaching I YouTubers hear you. how to be YouTubers, but... Um, to
1: have, shit. kind of, like, a, a hub, a, a film hub, or a hub yeah. just for the space we're talking about. Like, I mean, there, mm-hmm. there, there are versions of that, but, like, even to have kind of a, a more refined even like a, um, I was talking to Nome about this, maybe even having like a no film school, but really just only catered towards micro budget filmmaking, which they, they, they do a great job. I don't want to do anything they've, they've already done, but they do include, you know, Roger Deakins interviews and stuff, you know, which is helpful.
0: They I'm, their, their I'm pretty cynical so, about I no film school. And If you don't know, I wrote for no right. film school for like, like four or five years. Oh, and I like,
1: I did not Even, know
0: that. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was I was there from maybe like 2012 to the end of
1: 15.
0: Oh, no way. Um, I, yeah, I wrote a, a shit ton of articles, but like I got burned out on it because it was... Okay. Like the, the pay structure was essentially like you get paid by how much traffic, like by how many articles you write and by how much traffic oh. those articles get, which incentivizes all mm. of the wrong things. It incentivizes right, you right. writing clickbait shit and just writing like really yeah. skinny, like... It basically, like what they still do a lot, which is like, here's a YouTube video. Here's 200 words about mm-hmm. what's in this YouTube video, and then they just call it an article. Um, right. And granted, right, right, that right. that's easy money compared to like writing some of like the really beefy, like five thousand, ten thousand word things I do now. But,
1: it's, yeah, it's kind of like the Washington Post or something like that, having like an article with like a million ads below it or whatever, or, or any any typical damn website now. Yeah, they, they do repost quite a bit of past articles too, which people do on Facebook do knock them about and it's kind of... Yeah, well, I mean, and I woke,
0: and I do that too, because like new people follow me all the time because and like, I, I don't assume that just because I posted something once that um, that, right. that everybody in my audience has seen it. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's, I don't know, I... I think it's, it's one lot, of those yeah. things that just like stems from the advertising model from like banner advertising is like the primary right. form that or the primary way that no film school makes money like that ad adver- or that business yeah. model corrupts everything yeah. it touches because it incentivizes the wrong kind of behavior. And that's why you see them that doing a sense. whole bunch of like, here's 15 stories in a row about like marvel and scorsese having a few a lot or, of ryan
1: johnson recently yeah a ton of ryan johnson you know uh, yeah. which you know whatever but but I, as a filmmaker who needs me needs to occasionally get some stuff out there and, and share what we're sharing they've yeah. been you know ryan's been good to uh to me as far as letting me have a little platform so yeah, yeah it's been yeah. good but yeah i could imagine work being an employee it would not be uh as i you know as as a Positive
0: experience. Yeah. Well, no, and I, I owe but, but Ryan. Yeah. yeah, I owe Ryan like everything in terms, like, cause that that's what got me into marketing initially. Is like I started writing for them, and then I started doing some freelance content marketing, and then I got okay. into um, uh, like email, uh, very very much into email marketing and consulting around like list growth and how do you actually sell via email. I want
1: to talk to you about that offline for sure.
0: That, yeah. Man. Well, that
1: in the community, just I want to pick your brain for sure about Dude. building this tournament out.
0: Yeah, yeah, let's do it. But like, Barbie, so as much you know? as I, as much as I knock no film school, and I'm sort of cynical about it. Like, I, I kind of owe Ryan everything in terms of where yeah. I am right now know, at this point I know in my me. life.
1: So. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll knock my own damn film that I've made. You know, it's like just critiquing shit to try to get better. But there's always something yeah. that can be better. I think no film oh. school's, I think, been been around for ten years now, and I mean, it's it's such a great thing to have had.
0: You Man, know, so 10 years. good on them. But yeah,
1: but you know, behind the curtain, everything's not as fun and and glamorous as you would hope, right?
0: No, oh, it never is. It never is. Especially when you're relying on a, on a business model like that, that's kind of uh, gone down the drain the last five, 10 years. Like as everybody installs ad blockers, as yeah, um, ad it's, rates are, yeah. ad rates are plummeting as most advertisers are moving their, their shit over to Facebook and Google, because, you know, that's where the real engagement and targeting is. Um, like there's, oh, right, right. there's a lot of, a lot of different factors that just make it a, a really poor, really poor business model. But um a lot of it reminds a me lot of that thing uh, in yeah.
1: social networks you know when he, when zuckerberg is talking about no ads <laughs> obviously not not the case now but just when yeah. uh, you know in that scene right um but uh, i did want to say one more thing too just about before because i don't want to forget it and i think it's an important thing at least realization that i had as a filmmaker where it's kind of motivated me to do the tournament um but it's, and it's also got to do with the supply and the supply and the demand of what we're going through right now like this if 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 my issue one of my main issues as a filmmaker uh is uh that there's so much supply and not enough demand which means i can't get any sort of return on my film unless it's like an outlier um, yeah. and if that and if that it, it's almost like that whole kind of like stoic marcus aurelius quote of like the obstacle in the way is the way
0: yeah. yeah. And the so for me, I kind of Love came it. to
1: a, yeah, the obstacle goes, uh, for me, it was like, wait a minute. Well, it's like, if, if, if the obstacle is that there's so many other people trying to squeeze through this one little door, then how do you kind of flip that and use and use it to everyone's advantage and say, well, you know, how can we get everybody trying to go through that door to kind of come over here for a minute and, you know, pre, pre, kind of, kind of create so, some sort of kind of event. You know, that's kind of the idea of like, let's see what else is out there. Then, you know, let's just see. Like, let's just let, and let's try to prop up the best of the best. Why not do that? And there's so much that 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 we could talk about for days that comes with that. That's going to be positive too. You know, uh, you know, in a nutshell, would just the community building. You know, yeah, like I love you that you brought about. up
0: Marcus Aurelius and and like Stoic philosophy. I'm I'm big on it. Like, it it's been very. Um, I don't know. It's been very foundational for me over the last couple of years, um, helping me both as a filmmaker and an entrepreneur. Like that, some of the some of that mindset mm-hmm. is is really the only thing that's allowed me to continue through some of the harder times I've been through. And um, totally. Yeah. Well, it's yeah.
1: nice to just learn how to be grateful, isn't it? Too like yeah,
0: I'm pretty. Yeah.
1: Uh, we all want more than we've got, and we want you know we feel like we deserve more or whatever. And as a filmmaker, especially, and sometimes it's nice just to say, well, wait a minute, Dan at least we're able to even like attempt to do this, you know, Yeah. and you start to kind of do a little, uh, Oh, what's the Stoic or whatever, how you get into it. It's like, well, this kind of makes me feel better about everything. Why not? Yeah. At least, uh, you know, so.
0: Yeah. It's a reminder that it's, it's just a, the maturity thing. yeah, it's a reminder that it's a, it's a, at the end of the, at the end of the day, it's a great privilege to be able to do this work, even if it doesn't, go as we think even if yeah. we even if we don't become the next uh, tarantino or whatever the the dream is that we've built up in our minds just the act and, of yeah. of making so. a film with with your friends is is a fucking blessing like there's no other way to put it it's such a blessing it's such a privilege yeah. and you kind of have to just enjoy the ride um while also yeah. keeping all of the like the market stuff and like how do you uh, how do you optimize yeah. for what happens after the film is done but if you can't enjoy don't not the present be hungry moment. don't not yeah. want
1: the best yeah. for yourself and, and yeah for yourself. it's a balance but yeah but also don't forget that like we are very lucky to even you know attempt to do this there's so many people still in this world that you know are just trying to survive period so um yeah it makes you feel better right when you say it, yeah. it's like oh, okay like,
0: exactly and it kind of exactly. gives you a little more
1: hope and i will say this too like i started out wanting to be the next christopher nolan the next you know uh pick a 90s filmmaker um, and then it kind of morphed into, well, maybe I could be the next Cassavetes or the next Melville or the next, you know, uh, you know, lesser known, but still equally great filmmaker that made great work. You know, Curtis Hanson, this guy, RIP, you know, I don't think he even like directed his first film until he was 40. Ridley Sky. he didn't direct until he was 40, right? So anyways, as far as like worrying about the age of it all or worrying about like, oh, time is running out, it's like, I don't think it really helps to worry too much about that stuff. No, you know, it doesn't. Just make stuff. Um, and, and and also, it's a conversation of, do you wait until you have, quote unquote, what you need to make your film? Or do you just kind of go and make it with what you have um, within, you know, with, within reason? And I think, when you look at Cassavetes, you look at these older French New Wave directors or whoever you want to look at, German, New German cinema, um, they did it. And they did it with way less yeah you know what i mean so what's
0: stopping us just our our minds our weird set of cultural expectations Mm -hmm. are yeah it's uh yeah if you if you wait if you wait to have everything that you think you need for the projects (laughs) you want to make you're going to be waiting an awfully long time and you're going to look back on it later in life yeah you're going to look back from from your deathbed or from as a as an old person and be like i could have done better i should have done more i should have made things with what i had i shouldn't have taken the network and the the resources that i had for granted because it was it was enough like yeah that's what's so
1: great about your question start off uh, your podcast like what would you tell 10 year you know whatever 10 10 year ago you or whatever uh you know what would be the advice and just even the notion of that it's like you know you don't want to regret anything but you want to realize that you learn things too right time equals not just time equals yeah. like
0: knowledge so exactly. I, exactly I think i think the biggest thing is just just create just create yeah yeah create create more than you consume and you'll be you'll be golden the, the universe oh, will fine. reward you um yeah very nice that's, it's probably a good place to uh leave it now that we just hit the like the two and a half hour mark or damn near so uh
1: <laughs> we should just do, go for like 10 hours or something Let's just see how yeah. far
0: we can. No, I'm just kidding. I'm hungry. Just... Yeah, dude. Right. Yeah. I'm like falling, falling asleep. I need some lunch. Um, yeah, I bored you. So yeah. So let's uh, let's wrap things up and tell the good people where um, first of all where they can find more about the the microfilm or the microbudget film tournament. Um, where's that at?
1: So the microfilm tournament you can find on filmfreeway.com. You just Google, or if you just search for the micro, even if you just go to Google and just type in the micro uh film tournament uh that'll pop up or you can just go to the microfilm whatever many ways to find it um it's only still early bird submissions uh and we're able to kind of go through a little more right now so the sooner you get your your film in the better it's for feature films and short films um yeah and then as far as chameleon latest feature film um that is coming out in all the usual spots uh, late spring. I'm sorry. I'm not more specific right now, but we're really happy with our distributor that I can't mention right now. And we have overachieved on this bad boy for shooting it for so very little. So, um, yeah. really well, we'll excited to, about that. Uh,
0: yeah. We'll have to do a follow up on the, on the business side of what happens with chameleon. Cause I'm, I'm yeah. super curious because I, yeah, if you couldn't tell, I, I tend to be more, more, um, cynical about traditional distributors in this day and age, just cause there's, come on you know, now
1: it's needed clearly because we're getting village yeah. down here
0: yeah yeah but okay. yeah we'll, we'll have to we'll have to do a follow-up and see how everything goes um and uh yeah and we'll, we'll do a follow-up again on uh on the microfilm tournament too because i'm i'm excited to right. hear right. how that how that shakes out and like the community that that sort of forms around it because again that's that's much needed as well
1: yeah november 5th through the 8th in burbank um yeah we'll see we'll see how it goes you're feeling good Hell yeah, man. Well, I
0: think that's a good place to wrap. And uh, yeah, thanks for being here, homie. Thanks for.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, dude. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening. For the links and resources mentioned in this interview, as well as the full archive of Filmmaker Freedom episodes, just head over to filmfreedomshow.com. And while you're there, feel free to browse around the Filmmaker Freedom website and check out some of the other rad content, including the weekly newsletter. Every Sunday morning, I send out a variety of the most useful, inspiring, thought-provoking stories I've come across that week, as well as some other cool stuff. It'll help you build your skills, master your psychology, and keep up with this ever-changing business. So if you're ready for an email that you'll actually look forward to each week, just head over to filmfreedomshow.com newsletter. Also, if the ideas in this show resonate with you, you're a great candidate for Freedom Fighters, which is my private community just for entrepreneurial indie filmmakers. It's totally free to join, but there is an application process to get in. So if you're interested in surrounding yourself with a group of like-minded entrepreneurial filmmakers who will push you to succeed and help you grow, just go to filmfreedomshow.com slash community. And lastly, I'd just like to give one more shout out to my friends over at Musicvine for sponsoring this show. The groovy intro and outro music came straight from their library, of course, and there is loads more where that came from. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code filmfreedom for 25% off your next order. Once again thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will see you in the next episode of Filmmaker Freedom. Peace.